Hey, this is the Bayesian Conspiracy. I'm Inyash Brodsky. I'm Steven Zuber, and today we have a guest. Uh, my name is Sean. Hi, I've been here a couple times. We're going to talk about uh, artificial intelligence and who is afraid of it and should we be? Yeah, pretty much. I think we wanted to have like a primer episode because it's something that we've tangentially referred to a few times. And Yeah, it's, it's a pretty major focus of the rationalist community and we've referred to it a couple of times but never really had an episode on it. So we decided now would be a good time to do that. Now, I, I'm actually not familiar all that much with what the rationality community says about artificial intelligence. Like if it Which really is, gets in depth with it, is it really speculative as far as what to be afraid of? Does it try to extrapolate a lot? Like, because because it seems to me like artificial intelligence right now is in such an incipient stage that like yeah, that the main reason we had you on here is because you don't know that much uh, about what the rationalist community says. So you can be like the person from outside who is asking these questions. I thought I was like, yeah, this Sean is perfect for this. The focus is not on what is currently happening. I mean. It is a little bit in, in that it's a sign of things to come, but it's more along the lines of worry about what happens if humans do make an AI and what that means. We're talking like singularity then, right? Uh, singularity is such a ill-defined concept. Mm-hmm. I, I think I don't like it too much, and I think in general the community has been moving away from that term. Do, we, do you want to say what singularity is? Singularity has at least two or three distinct definitions, and... The, the one that people speaking broadly in the rationalist community are concerned with is the idea of an intelligence explosion where, say, you get an AI that this kind of jumps us right into the point. But when you, when and I say when rather than if, I think that it's inevitable that we'll reach this stage of technology. I don't think there's any like physics barriers or concepts that will be impossible to meet to make this actually happen. The question is, like, does it happen in five years or 500 years? When artificial general intelligence, or AGI for short, is created, the idea is that it'll it'll be better at humans and everything that really matters to us, including writing AI programs. And so it can write new AI programs or it can rewrite itself. And then subsequently, since it's better at it than we are, you could say offspring or its next iterations will be better than it previously was a second ago. Lather, rinse, repeat, and you've got a quick takeoff to like just super intelligence. Um, I think the term was coined by sci-fi writer Werner Vinci. That's right. Yeah, in in the mid-80s. And it is, it's basically the concept that when all you have is a rock, you can't do very much with it. But once you have a rock that has been sharpened and attached to a stick, you can, you now have a tool and you can use that tool to make even better tools. And humans have been doing this for, you know, millennia now. And as our tools get better, we can use those tools to make even better tools to the point where now we can see, you know, individual atoms with tunneling electron microscopes. And we can put things up in orbit and people on the moon if we want to. And, uh, and we have this worldwide communications network. And one of our tools nowadays is computers and the programs that run on them. Right now, humans are making those. But once our tools get good enough, they can start replacing us in things. And yeah, like you said, eventually we can make a program that writes other programs. And once we can do that, there's no particular reason the program wouldn't keep making better versions of itself to make programs that are even smarter and better and get to the point where they are better than humans at anything that requires intelligence. Or like even if it was just specifically designed to do that. Right. Or, I mean, the other thing to consider is that even if you have an AI that I think it was uh, Nick Bostrom wrote the superintelligence, superintelligence, the book. And he, he has this, this phrase that I really liked that he says, you know, as AI gets gradually closer to human intelligence, there's no reason to think that it'll stop at humanville station. It'll probably just zoom right by. And part of that is because 
if you, if you get an AGI that's running anything like how we run, it's going to be doing so at 1.5 million times faster than we do it, just as far as like, because our thinking speed is what, 100? 200 hertz, 1 to 200 hertz, depending. Yeah. Yeah. So, and the, the, the theoretical limit for as fast as a computer can do it is like the speed of light. So even if it's thinking at the human level, it's thinking at a rate that dwarfs us like crazy. You can get from like ancient Greece to now in an afternoon. If it's thinking millions times faster than we are, it can cover a lot of ground. I want to get back to that in just a second. But before we do, uh, what, what did, was your understanding of what the word singularity means? Oh, I was, I was thinking of recursive improvement of the intelligence Okay. question which is just like a super abstract like just conceptual like it's just because it's like the seed for a lot of like science fiction writing yeah. you know obviously like like everyone's that, heard those stories before the robots take over yeah because that's fascinating yeah no right, right like 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 the like the creator the creator race being destroyed by its like creation mm-hmm. what all parents fear yeah i, I guess <laughs> i i mean I, th- I thought parents were supposed to fear their their children dying before them but I don't, yeah, know. I don't know maybe i see this is why i'm not a parent yeah, <laughs> oh, me. i'd be like i'm not feeding you bastards because if you grow tall you'll beat me up yeah that's <laughs> totally <laughs> want to keep you short uh, pliable uh, that, that that's the version of the singularity i'm thinking of it's just the 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 really basic conceptual you know explosion of intelligence like you were talking about and um, i don't i'm not aware of any other uh, definitions, unless we're talking about like incremental moments leading up to that or something. So there's, and it's it, kind of hard to figure out when that would even be. Yeah, no, no. I think so. Like in a quick nutshell, there's Kurzweil's version, which is where like technology growth happens, starts happening really, really fast. I'm not sure where he draws the line at yeah, singularity he talks about happening. Like bridge technology, where you can like escape velocity and stuff like that, right? Like he talks about living forever. Yeah, well, yeah, him and Aubrey de Grey, but different avenues. Right. I think they're looking for Aubrey de Grey talks about longevity, escape velocity. I think that might be what you're thinking of. Which he, he does the Methuselah project. He's looking for like Life Extension Research Institute. And then the third one is the idea that on the other side of the intelligence explosion, or whenever you get smarter than human intelligence, whether it's an explosion or a slow takeoff, you get this this point where your your models of being able to predict the future break down because you can't predict what an agent smarter what an agent that's smarter than you will do just like i'm watching alpha go play go and i can't guess what move it's going to make because if i could i'd be as good at playing go as it is Mm -hmm. i can i can anticipate what i think it might do but if it makes a surprising move and it wins i wouldn't have predicted that right Mm -hmm. so that's that's where like the the model breaking down singularity word was borrowed from charles strauss has an amazing story about different levels of intelligence in in agents where he says that uh, he, you know, has to take his cat to the vet like once a year or something. And the cat knows that when he brings out the little cat carrying case thing, that means it's vet time. And the cat is smart enough to see the case and be like, oh shit, I'm going to get shots, I am running. And so the, the cat sees these things in an environment, uh, is smart enough to figure out what's happening, takes action to avoid it. And it goes running for the cat door and it slams face first right into the cat door because Strauss has locked it so it doesn't open. <laughs> and the cat is always shocked that this one time of all times the cat door happened to not work. What the hell is happening? And Charles Strauss is like, well, I was simply thinking one move ahead of the cat. I knew the cat would run towards the cat door, so I locked it beforehand. And uh, it, it, it's that sort of similar thing where you cannot predict what someone significantly smarter than you is going to do mm-hmm. because then you would be as smart as them. Sure. That makes sense. So that's, I think, the three bullet points in a nutshell. 
I'm kind of curious to do this in the format that I think we were modeling a bit, where you kind of just throw out a question and then the three of us can spitball around it. Does that sound fun? Uh, yeah, sure. I did want to get back to, before we did that, when you said the whole thinking things a million times faster than humans, mm-hmm. first of all, would in, be incredibly useful because if I could do you know 10 years of mental labor in the span of a day, it is a, a legitimately handy thing to do. But as someone has pointed out, that even if you gave 10,000 monkeys 10,000 years to, to come up with something, they're not going to come up with something that a human can come up with in just one week because of the difference in level of intelligence. So uh, the, the speed is one aspect of it, but it's not the only thing. It's also the just legitimately smarter than human intellect. Yeah, that, like, and like, that's the other thing. Like right now with, I don't know how much the two of you know about like neural networks, but mm-hmm. even right now, so, so like neural networks, like the concept has been around for like a really damn long time. Like, yeah, the, like I believe since the 1950s. And then it got, it got kind of scrapped and it wasn't very well defined over time. And like, I think it had a bit of a resurgence in like the nineties, late eighties, nineties. And then, and then it got dropped again. People were like, Oh, this is crap because it's really not like, like basically the way they were going about implementing them wasn't up to, up to snuff exactly. So, and and then now it's had another resurgence and now that's why you have things like Spotify's um, discover weekly. Like that's based on a neural network. AlphaGo was a neural network. Right, exactly. And like, and like deeply, you know, like the, the, the image, the, the deep deep dream or you know stuff like that but but there's this tendency for for if you, like so you, you have to give a neural network like training algorithms so it like can learn mm-hmm. but sometimes it's it's like too smart for its own good where it will take data points and it'll try to constrain boundaries around those data points instead of using like a line to divide those like as a this this category this other category uh-huh. so you have to like you, you can't let it learn for too long or else it'll it'll over It'll, it, it'll over refine it. it and become very inelegant or very like un like it, it's like not, when it's humans not see faces in clouds and in everything yeah right so, on a machine so, scale so we're still at that stage where like we're really trying to make neural networks more efficient and more reasonable to do the things we want them to do mm-hmm. and it and it unfortunately even in the best case scenario often requires a lot of human intervention mm-hmm. so I honestly like I'm just curious like when like when do we realistically think there's going to be this explosion of of intelligence that actually is going to take off in every possible direction yeah. and actually be smarter than humans and be able to like do abstract thinking like that's so the i mean that's that's a very speculative question because how do you answer something like that right yeah right right i mean I, i'm just kind of thinking aloud i mean i'm not I, no no i expecting I, I was, an answer really i i have sort of an answer okay uh, it's not like a date that i'm going to give you <laughs> okay but, uh, uh, 2028 exactly uh, august 17th but for the record it, i want to inject that's one reason i'm not a huge fan of ray kurtzweil is he keeps putting years sometimes oh, months okay. on when this do is going to happen do you think he's just projecting a lot of optimism because he wants to live forever yes Okay, uh, me too. But I mean, well, it's probably a bit, right? Like it, it happens to be during his lifetime. It happens to be at like at that 20 year ish mark I, all the time to I, where like it's far enough out where there's some flexibility and like where the technologies that you need to be developed might have a chance to be developed, but it's close enough to like for people to care about. It's not, it's, it's within a lifetime, right? Yeah. So the, like in the eighties, there, there was debate as to whether a computer would ever be smart enough to beat a human in chess. And uh, there, there were a few other milestones that keep getting. Uh, there was someone thought we were several decades out from something. We managed to beat it in in the span of ten years or so. I know just like six months or less than a year before AlphaGo came out, one of the top AI researchers was saying it's probably going to be about a decade or so. And in in a decade or so, we're going to have computers that can actually beat humans at Go. That was in Nick Bostrom's Super Intelligence. Actually, oh, was it? Okay. Where he had said. I think in 2012, maybe a little later, 
uh, he is like, there's, there seems like it's realistic to think that it might happen this decade. Yeah. And not that it'll happen in like, you know, a right. year after and this then book a is year, published. Yeah. yeah. A year later, AlphaGo comes out and everyone is like, holy shit, we got to revise all our estimates down because this is happening faster than we thought. Uh, but on a wide survey, wide ranging survey, and maybe it was in super, super intelligence that, that this data point comes from of AI researchers and engineers, the point where they think there's about a 50% chance we'll get AI as smart as humans was I think 2050 or so. I'm afraid I can't remember, but I know what you're talking about. It's yeah, it, it was, it was, it was something within 30, 35 years. And, uh, there's some people that say, yeah, there's a small chance we could have it within a decade. And almost all of them said that they would be very surprised, like a 90% chance that we will have it within the century. If we don't have it within the century, they will be frankly surprised. So within 50 years or so is, is entirely reasonable based on what people are thinking right now. And again, could be faster because we keep beating projections. The reason that the rationalist community is a bit worried about uh, the whole AI thing is because earlier on, and I know I was of the same uh, opinion when I was, you know, teens, maybe even early 20s, was uh, smarter than human machines would be awesome. And we want them because if you're smart, then you know things that are right and wrong and good and bad, right? Like no, no, nothing that's smart is going to want to turn the earth into a parking lot uh, or, or whatever you'd want to do with earth. And uh, <laughs> unless, unless it was, unless it was like utilitarian God AI, right? Like had to make compromises. So it's like, well, let's just kill <laughs> right. you know, like maybe it contacts a bunch of other sentient species somehow. And we don't know it. And it yeah. just is like, okay, it just like nukes the whole earth. And everyone's like, what the fuck? You're supposed <laughs> to be the good AI. And like, nope, actually this was good. <laughs> right. No, I mean that, that, that's a big part of the problem that everyone was like, yes, smarts are good. We're smart. And there, there came the realization that there is absolutely nothing that uh, ties our goals and things we value to the concept of intelligence generally, that those things are completely unrelated. So it's entirely possible for a super intelligent machine to not at all care about what humans care about and just want to do something like uh, the example that was originally used and has stuck around is make paper clips. Uh, maybe for whatever reason it was programmed to design paper clips. Maybe that was just like the little test algorithm at first is here's resources for you make as many paper clips as you can out of them to test it and then it uh manages to become really big and powerful and take over and soon the entire world is converted to paper clips and it doesn't hate humans but humans are made out of atoms that it can use to make paper clips so let's let's do that and then start sending probes out throughout the solar system and out into the galaxy to make everything into paper clips for yeah. for what it's worth i'll i think i'll submit that it's not so much the concern that the AI will spontaneously decide to do something no. out of nowhere that oh, no, no one anticipated. But I mean, that's something that people throw out uh, like all the time. It's like, what about when it decides to kill us? It's like, well, why would it decide that out of nowhere? Because haven't you seen the matrix, bro? Exactly. <laughs> it, that was a documentary, right? Yeah. Um, about an alternate, an alternate timeline. Yeah. So people, tr there's this tendency and there's this, there's already a word for this, the fallacy of generalizing from fictional evidence. And sure. Yeah. yeah. So people will look at fake examples that were generated for fun and then try and draw real conclusions from them. And that's, uh, that's a fallacy. <laughs> so yeah, there's, there's is. no reason to suppose that, that the universe will actually end up like fiction that people wrote. That doesn't mean it couldn't happen, but it just means that like, you don't have any reliable 
yeah. basis for saying that it would happen. There's no reason to privilege that hypothesis, right? Yeah, no, totally. Over all of the other things that could happen. So the, the, the concern is that it'll do exactly what it's told to, but it's what it's told to do won't be specific enough. Like anyone who's programmed computers knows how fucking annoying they are in, in that they will do exactly what you say. And that is a problem because that's, that, that, that's honestly like, that's part of the reason, uh, like I'm somewhat, I don't know if, I don't know if pessimistic is the right word, but I, I guess I'm not super optimistic about the timeline at which we will have, you know, recursively improving AIs that get really crazy smart. Um, you know, in the way that you were describing it earlier, mm-hmm. uh, it, it's going to take so much refinement. I think just so many iterations and failures to the point just the cause for concern is even if it takes you know a century or two however long it does take trying to make something which cares about the same things that humans care about is really fucking difficult and if there are a number of research teams around the world the ones who don't take the time to align an an artificial intelligence's goals with human goals like you know continuing to have a human race that exists and isn't miserable uh, will get there first because they aren't constrained by things like trying to make sure that it is friendly to humans. Friendly meaning, you know, cares at least somewhat that our goals are not entirely run roughshod over. So there's this idea of, uh, or the thought experiment, like what if we met a race of aliens that was just like us, they had all of our same values, they cared about, you know, living healthily and taking care of their people they care about and all that. But they lacked the one thing. They, they, if they lack any one thing, it can be just disastrous for us to like try and be implemented like them. So, like, say if they didn't have the same capacity for boredom that we have, mm-hmm. and that to them they could play the same video games, and as long as you change some colors of pixels, then it was like this whole new experience and all fun over again. But that's just not how we work. Mm-hmm. And so, just I mean, it's just it's a trivial little thing, but just the idea that I mean, you have to get everything that trivial exactly right, because then if it takes off and if you want. I mean, it also depends what you're doing with the AI that you're building, and if you want it to make the world better for us, or if we want, you know, if you want it to sit in a box and we can ask it questions or whatever. Um, but if you want to build the full, the full god AI that takes over and makes everything awesome for everybody, it needs to have a very well calibrated definition of awesome. Right. Because the yeah, the problem being that the the space of all possible intelligences, intelligent agents in the universe is huge and the the sphere that of things that we care about and that can interact with us uh on this planet peacefully is a tiny tiny subset of that and so it's incredibly hard to hit that goal and very easy to make something that just happens to not care about things at all in the same way we do and uses all the resources to pursue its own goals yeah I mean, again, I think part of it is just like its own goals would be the ones that we gave it, but it would just implement them weirdly. I mean, that's possible, but you you can just not give it any goals and it can still, there's, there's so many different ways to be an intelligent agent and almost none of them are something that we would recognize as valuable. Fair enough. Yeah. Even, even if we weren't to give it a goal of its own. Make a shit ton of awesome video games. Right. <laughs> and, but, you know, then um, you have the entire world converted into awesome video games and there's no humans to play them. So again, it's it's like I that, mean, it's I mean, like, like the, a, the version where it does a good job. Yeah, <laughs> right. it's, it's right, like yeah, a, I need you to do I need you to do a better job. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Can you do that for me? Right. Do a better job. Or even if it keeps humans alive, you know, there's some things that we value other than video games. So if there's a whole bunch of humans and the only thing we have 
that we can do with the resources in our solar system is play video games anymore. Some people would find that distressing. Yeah, that's Some true. people would also find it distressing to be made into people that only enjoyed playing video games. Right. Right? There are so, people that don't like video games. Well, but I mean, there's some people who don't like playing video games and there's and those people probably be, probably resent the idea of being turned into people who like playing video games. Yes. Right? Yeah. So yeah, that would be, I mean, any, any kind of like infringement on autonomy is probably pretty disturbing to most people, including myself. Yeah. And that may be the easiest way to fix a lot of problems is just to fix the humans so they stop wanting these things. Oh, no. <laughs> I mean, are we talking about an AI that has like instantaneous connections to everyone's brains and can tweak things? Like, I mean, no, not necessarily. But Like AM from I have no mouth and must scream. Or, right. No, it's I have no mouth and, and I cannot, must scream. And, and I must scream. Yes, yeah. that's it. Uh, no, not necessarily, but maybe i mean it's it's impossible to say just what is possible if you are superhumanly intelligent and have the entire resources of the planet or the solar system or whatever at your disposal true that's part of the issue of like the event horizon where you can't predict what will happen because things we don't have models that work there yet like i mean what what chimpanzee out there could predict that a human would be able to fly through the air across continents like they don't have any feathers or wings. I mean, sure. What I humans know. 150 years ago could have predict- predicted that too, right? Eh, maybe. People have been trying to fly forever. People have been just dreaming been it, but like it. think that it would happen and people just would be doing it on their days to and from work. Yeah. That I, I don't think there are that many people running around before electricity fantasizing about that, right? Yeah, but just, just the fact that you know the, the we don't know the deepest laws of physics and we don't know what is technically possible in the universe at the most basic level. We, maybe you can somehow uh, do that sort of thing fairly easily. Maybe it turns out there's a really easy way to to break the light speed barrier, and we just weren't smart enough to see how to tweak physics to do it. And if not, even light speed's fast enough for like it to count as instantaneous across the globe, right? So, right. like Wi-Fi and nanobots, and you've got your your brain modifying happening more or less instantaneously across humanity. What what about so so what about um, kind of in between states? So we're, we're we're thinking like super theoretical future stuff. What about like stuff that's is on the horizon things that we can probably see like autonomous cars that you know we already kind of have that yeah but we're gonna have more of that i think i mean they're gonna put a lot of people out of work yeah i think if they work autonomous workers autonomous yeah. cars that drive you ever like like right now tesla basically has that i think mm-hmm. but they're not fully autonomous they're like it's it's like mostly autonomous with some human intervention. Like you have to be in the car. Yeah, yeah. Obviously, you would. Those things they're also sort of important, but none of those are extinction level events. You know? No, they're not. And not not just extinction level, but permanently turning a a growing sphere of the universe into something worthless, even after we're gone, potentially. Well, yeah. But but as far as like near horizon stuff, I do think that automation is one thing that we see happening now, and we'll see continue to happen. Just think of like all the all the people all the factory jobs that humans used to do are all done by robots now, and they're done faster. They work nights. They don't demand pay and unions and stuff. Mm-hmm. And so like that that takes off pretty quickly. I mean, I think it's extremely likely that in the next fifteen years we'll have self driving cars. So like people won't own cars the way that we own them now. Or like if we do, it'll be kind of like a fringe thing. But you'll just like order a car to you know whenever you need one, and it'll drive out from whatever local bay, and it'll take you to wherever you're trying to go, like an Uber, but minus the person. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Like fast food workers will all be replaced with, you know, self-order kiosks and robots built, you know, making your burgers or whatever. That's definitely something that I see as likely in the next, I like that 20 year vague number. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, we're seeing beginnings of it now. So it's not, yeah. it's not somewhat speculative. It's just like, when will this happen? How wide it'll be and how fast it'll happen. And like you said, there's, 
there's no reason to think that a computer can't be made to, to optimize things as well as a human can. Even if it doesn't think exactly like a human can, there's no boundary that says well, it, it, it can't is, become this smart. Given a specific task like driving and not crashing, mm-hmm. you know, like like definitely that seems that that seems like that's something in reach in the near future, right? Like, mm-hmm. say we get to that point, fifteen years, we got these fully autonomous cars that are just like totally better than humans at driving, mm-hmm. or at least you know, basically the like on par with the best drivers, right? Mm-hmm. Just they're they're really good. Mm-hmm. And and like if an accident happens or like you have that. You, you like some emergency thing happens and it's like the trolley problem and it tries to solve that and it like kills people like but like who's accountable in that case because it's 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 ai so, right so what so then what do you do like who gets who gets in trouble like what happens you, i mean why do you necessarily have to assign blame in those sorts of cases it, it, i mean i mean i suppose you don't have to happen right well, every now and then bridges but I mean, like the legal system has to acknowledge it's something right well i mean the legal system might it's if there's a human that it was involved and can be blamed but the whole point of assigning blame is to uh change the actions of other people right if if someone has done something wrong sure. uh, you punish them so other people will not do that same kind of thing they will stop driving drunk or they will follow the speed limit when they should things like that well, so but so, no, every, so no, no, no nobody's nobody's fault right probably no fault yeah like i mean sometimes an earthquake happens and a bridge falls down and but who are you going to you know blame for that as yeah, long no. as it was built to code then that makes sense yeah. I, i'm just wondering like what the what, what what the growing pain so to speak will be like moving toward that idea like someone's going to be looking for someone to blame in a case like that yeah, yeah the first time that somebody is in a fully self-driving car and for whatever reason a family of 3 runs out in front of it and the car has to swerve off a bridge to not kill that those three people and kill the one you know passenger of the vehicle yeah. somebody's going to be pointing a finger and like who do we go you know the family of that person will be like who do i fucking beat up right or what who yeah. do i who do i vent at my my rage at and they're not going to they're not going to vent at the the algorithm that made the decision they're going to yeah. vent at the company that Produce that algorithm and, and market that vehicle. Sue the shit out of them, right? Yeah, just or try to get money out of them. I think and, it's extremely likely that you'll have to sign very detailed explanations, like what you're getting into. But then that is sort of a question. You mentioned like trolley problem things. Like if I get into a self-driving car, it's different than if I'm driving it. Like if I'm driving, I might well make the decision to throw my car off a bridge to save a family. Yeah, but having that decision made for me seems like something a that not, not everyone would get on board with, and b. I think there's this impression that it's different in an important moral sense, right? I don't think it, it is necessarily, but I do see how people will if they they'll they might want to check a box. Nope, save me at all costs. But I don't mm-hmm. know if make I don't even know if adding that option would be moral to do, right? I think uh if there is a large percentage of people who would not utilize self-driving cars unless there was such an option, then it should be an option and maybe even standard in cars for at least the first few decades because just the amount of lives that would be saved by taking humans out of the driving. Loop. Yeah, no kidding. Because how many accidents are there a year by people who are like drunk driving or yeah. you know even sober? Human error. Like, like it's the, absolutely going to be better. Like like if if we get to a point like you know, Thomas cars in the future, they're going to be like far fewer accidents. So that like it'll be weird and anomaly when there are accidents, right? Yeah. Like in theory, that should be how it ends up, right? Yeah, yeah. Unless all the cars go ape shit all at once right. and start rampaging and just killing everybody. Then, then, then <laughs> it wouldn't be Unless the cars the decide that they don't like humans anymore. Exactly. Like, but, 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 let's but, drive them all off a cliff. But, but obviously we're, we're talking about like 15, 20, 30, you know, years of, of like very focused implementations of, of artificial intelligence that doesn't involve making using abstract thought and making big decisions and like yeah. seeing the universe or whatever we were kind of talking about with like super future AI. Yeah. 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 I think 30,000 people on average die every year in the U S from automobile accidents. Wow. And yeah. So what's that every day? Right. So and it's over 90% of those are due to human error. 
Oh yeah, well I'm sure. Well, the vast majority, be. yeah. yeah. I mean, they're being if, if if that was just cars falling apart randomly, then <laughs> right. that's that that would be a whole big lawsuit thing, right? Yeah. So, oh yeah, um, yeah. It's just people want to go fast on the way to work, or you know, they think they can change lanes, they think they can make the light. Just little things happen, and you can only gamble so many times, and before you know, you lose, right? So. Yeah. Uh, and all those weird trolley situations always like start you out in a thing like there's a family of three crossing the street and you have to swerve to and kill yourself or else kill the family. It's was it, it's was, a was very it, was hard. Questionnaire wasn't that like a thing that MIT was doing? Like Something what like would that, you but, do? But would you kill these people or these people? Yeah, but it's it, it, with self-driving cars even being put in that position is nearly impossible. It's not like the self-driving car does not see the family of three. Or like it's barreling down residential streets at 90 miles per hour. I mean, they have radar. They can see 360 degrees around them all the time. Its reaction sure. speed is fast. Yeah, right. I mean, every <laughs> like, now like and then maybe fast. something like will pretty... happen. There's some kind of glint off a truck that fuses its sensors. But this is not going to be a regular occurrence. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. And I feel like so people it's not are like, so if this impossible situation that happens once every decade were to happen, oh my God, really? Yeah, you don't need to spend a lot of time planning for those fringe contingencies. I think you're right. Yeah, but the 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 crazy thing about going back to the superhuman level AI, the crazy thing about that is that it is something that is it's not physically impossible. So eventually, we're going to get there. Uh, I, I don't I don't see how we could not get there because having a superhuman intelligence is just such a handy tool. Someone's going to make it. I God. I'm reminded of when I can uh, think of an obvious way it won't get there. Oh, if I think the race think, gets wiped out. First. Yeah, 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 yeah we, we kill ourselves. I, it, I, I remember when uh, things CRISPR, don't go terribly. I remember when CRISPR was, uh, you know, discovered, and right away the the bioethical uh, board, whatever it is in in the U.S., said we will not be doing any CRISPR experiments on uh, human embryos. That is unethical, and no one was allowed to do that. And within one year, China was like, "Hey, here's these CRISPR embryos we got going." <laughs> and it's like, uh, yeah, what are you going to do about China or or Korea or whatever country it is that thinks like, hey, uh, we could use that tool, especially since we are being threatened by this hegemonic military force. So at some point, as long as it's physically possible, we will get there. And if there's a race, we'll probably not get the the friendly version. We'll get something that isn't quite aligned with what we want. And then we all go extinct. And you'd think that the human race would put some small level of resources into maybe uh, looking ahead at this, and it's it's minuscule. I, I remember when uh, when Trump was elected, but we're, we're nowhere thought, near that point, though, right? So I mean, we I still mean, have a lot of time to be thinking about it. The, the, can the, I? The, can the I, problem I, is, go oh, yeah, go ahead. Well, I, this is actually the perfect tie-in to what I was going to mention earlier. That uh, Stuart Russell wrote the he wrote the textbook on AI called. Um, artificial intelligence a modern approach and he currently is on the board of a few institutions and stuff uh working on this and he uses the the thought experiment or the intuition pump of imagine if we got a message from space saying hey we're aliens we'll see you in 50 years and like people wouldn't have exactly the approach that you gave well we've still got time we'll we'll figure this out when as it comes closer so, so, okay, okay. You, you get a message and it, it's it's just we will see you in 50 years well say it's unequivocally from aliens the idea is okay, that we're like, told like, like they're going to come into physical contact with they're going to come to our planet what does that actually mean though we're not that that might be part of the point right it's right, just we know sure. we know they're coming and what, so what if they're just going to look at us and that's it who, right, well but the it. thing is how do you prepare so like the idea the no one would take the stance well that's 50 years away. We can start thinking about it in 20, 25 years. We've, we've got time. No one, no one really, I think they would be like, holy fuck, we need to scramble. We need to be ready for anything when this happens. Mm -hmm. And people aren't taking that with the 
with the definite, although less certain, horizon of of artificial intelligence. And, and, and the the thing is, these things are really hard problems and take a lot of time, right? And so, it's hard to feel like emotionally grappled with it the way the, the alien example catches well, I mean, people. Well, when, when Trump was elected, I thought at that night that, I mean, maybe one or two percentage points here or there could have swung things, but we were in a situation where it was close. There was 50% of the electorate willing to vote for him. And how the fuck in the past four months, like when all the people I knew were out there crazy campaigning and being really part, you cannot make much of a difference on that wide of a level in a few months the place to start would have been back like 15 20 years ago and addressing these concerns about the middle class being gutted the working poor not having jobs anymore or even just the financial crisis in 2008 i think is really the last chance we had to divert this sort of thing so it, it was eight years ago that you would have had to start working on not getting trump elected to make sure trump didn't get elected and you just can't do it in the last minute and I, I think this is the same sort of thing where you have to get started early in front of these things because they are hard, difficult problems that take a long-term sustained effort. And and we don't know exactly when it'll be. It could be in 50 years. It could be in 90 years. But it could be like in 20 years maybe. And because it's so hazy, the fact that almost no one is looking at it is ridiculous. It's like there's less than, than 100 people on the entire in the entire planet, as far as we know, that is actually working on this problem. And I'm not saying a friendly that, AI, not AI in general. Yeah, on friendly AI. And I'm not saying that you know we have to dedicate 10% of our world GDP to fixing this or something. But I think maybe having more than 100 people working on it is a good idea. Where where, where did you get 100 from? Oh God, where did I get 100 from? It was, I believe, a Wait But Why article. Now that I think about it, and he has a reference to where he uh, got that number, but. It's it's basically Miri, the Future of Humanity Institute, a few other small organizations that employ you know a dozen to two dozen people at most each of them, and comes out to less than a hundred. I, I see what you're saying about like yeah, like maybe we should be given this it's it's due focus, and certainly if there are only a hundred people who are taking this seriously and actually thinking about it, maybe there should be more. I would agree with that. Um, I, I guess I would also bring up that. Um, as time goes on, we're going to have more of an idea of what's on the horizon, right? And maybe. It, it maybe maybe in like 10 years for all we know someone could be like oh shit guys like this is actually a thing now like we, we we've seen this happen with ai and this happened with ai mm -hmm. guys no seriously like look out because this is this is coming up now that we we well, can't see this now but maybe we can see this I, I, soon people, enough to where we're like oh, oh crap and now we start doing things people and, have been saying that for almost 10 years now okay and fair enough right it's some people are finally starting to listen which is nice i mean like uh, elon musk's and stephen hawking's and bill gates's and all those are finally over the last uh, yeah, mostly it's been happening in the past year, but some people have been starting to sign on for five, six years now. So more attention is being drawn to it, and I am very happy about that, but it's still slow. How many more people would you want to see, I guess, on that? <sighs> Uh, focused on it and right. I, I mean we, we already have like the the, the big minds uh, we have elon musk we have stephen hawking thinking about this stuff and actually um, i don't think either of them are actually working on it because neither of them are ai researchers they are just sure trying sure, sure. to pull attention to it and uh elon musk is pouring a More lot of, of money an into entrepreneur. it entrepreneur yeah yeah I, I mean i mean like what he's working well i mean tesla tesla's cars are like almost fully autonomous right yeah like yeah. potentially like they can be like so didn't someone get driven one... to the hospital like it Oh really? Yeah, well, I, I thought I heard something about someone who like he like, like injured himself and he got into he got into a Tesla and it drove him to the hospital That's and awesome. actually saved his life. 
Boy, I mean, don't quote me on that, I guess. That rings a bell for me, too. I mean, I think that's one of the reasons uh, that Musk was an early funder of, of, of Miri and other of these initiatives. Because okay, Miri is... What, what the Machine Intelligence Research Institute. Oh, right, right, okay. They basically are trying to solve the alignment problem, figure out how to mm. create, uh, once an AI is created, how to make sure that its values do not end up destroying all of humanity. So part of part of the confusion there is like, how do you keep a utility fun- a utility function uh, consistent when oh, through self modification when you're doing the self modifying to yourself, um, and you know so the parts of you that are changing your utility function or refining it, the idea is how to keep everything lined up when it goes past your event horizon for what you can predict it's going to do. Yeah. You're going to say, all right, well, make it make it as good as you can. You know, make it better, and then it's going to make it perfect. But you want to make sure it understands what you mean by perfect. Did you yeah. ever read the the genie post? Oh. No, it's it's maybe. it's a favorite one of mine. I was um, going to say, make it perfect. Like that, that does maybe think of genies too. Yeah. Well, so that's it's, that's one of the, the examples I like to use is, is like if you um if you ask it, hey, cure cancer. Oh, great. You know where cancer lives? People. People gone. No more cancer. Okay. So yeah, like yeah. so you can use the you can use the intuition pump to get like some really easy thought thought experiments out of this to just just imagine a very uh, malicious genie. And is that what you're saying? Yeah, oh, is this uh, no. the perfect wish that you're thinking of? Yes. Okay. Yeah, I'm familiar with that. Yeah. The the the, the wish machine being you like you have. A a button it's a machine you say i want thing x to happen and it makes thing x right. happen and if you aren't happy with the result you push the button it rewinds time to right when you made that wish and you can reword the wish and then it'll do your thing that uh and you can keep pushing the button as much as you want until it gets the wish right so the example was like your grandma is living in her apartment and you see that the apartment is burning she's trapped in there and you say oh my god i want my grandma out of the apartment right now and, uh, uh, and, and it, it, drops, main, it drops her like eight stories and she's dead or yeah, something. Yeah, gas main explodes. Your grandma goes flying out of the yeah, building because right. it, it cannot break the laws of physics, this machine. Sure. And so you're like, nope, hit the button. And you're like, I want my grandma here next to me uh, uh, right now. And your grandma, yeah, like you said, gets plummeted out the window and lands next to you and splats. And you're like, nope, push the button. And you keep refining your wish down and down and down. And it keeps finding new and more creative ways to fail that are closer to what you wanted and are yeah. always exactly what you said, but are never quite right. <laughs> But eventually, you hit the button so many times, you get to the point where, like, firemen rush in and three firemen die getting your 80-year-old grandma out yeah. safe. And you're, then you're like, well, that's not worth it. My grandma only has another five years anyway. These firemen don't die. shouldn't die. So you hit the button. It's like, okay. <laughs> right, I, want, I want fireman one to, to kick down the front door and throw his axe at exactly this angle that well, severs a board from falling on my grandma's head. Right. That, I mean, that, it, it can't, like do magic and and so then it's like so your grandma gets saved but uh this eight-year-old girl that was also in the building has her right arm withered and is no longer useful the rest of her life and yeah and then like then you got to start thinking Huh? It's how much shitty, is my it's grandma's shitty wish life? machine, though? That's, a, I mean, that's not a. It's, that's, it's, it's, it's not, not a lead yeah, tier. I mean, like, eventually, maybe you can make it perfect, but but the point is that. <laughs> The problem with the wish machine is it doesn't have human values. It mm-hmm. just has a goal and it does the goal and you have to keep refining it. It's like a Meeseeks box. Yes, <laughs> yes. And uh, eventually you, you, you manage to make a machine that has all your goals and what you're worried about and what you care about and how much you value your grandma's life as opposed to firemen's lives as opposed to other innocent people's health along those lines. Is it okay if your grandma lives but she's in terrible pain for the rest of her life, mm-hmm. you know? Or would it be better just to let her pass from smoke inhalation rather than that? And so at that point, you've created a machine that basically has all your values and then you don't even have to ask it anything because it already cares for your grandma and cares for other humans the same way you do. And you're just like, 
do your thing machine and it sure. makes the best outcomes happen and and that is the goal and it's a hard goal to make something that has the same values as humans and would make those judgments the right way as opposed to me seeks <laughs> sure sure so yeah i think one of the two takeaways from that or two of the takeaways is that yes it turns out to be very difficult even for you to exp- to extract or for you to explain what it is that you want and it's only when you're met with failure over and over that you're like oh you know what I actually value that too you're right but the other important thing is that you don't get multiple tries in real life right yes. you don't get a magic wish machine you no. get you get you a get physics one. based wish machine and yeah you, you only get one wish basically so you have to get it right the first time or the human race goes away and i think part of the concern that we we mentioned earlier but that the different companies that are working on building AGI for i mean just even for like the reason that you know the first owner of an AGI or the first company is going to you know become the world's first multi-trillionaire right i swear to god the company that makes AGI first is going to be some spam company that's trying <laughs> to break uh, all the ways we have to avoid spam <laughs> mm. they're going to be like we can have, figure out all your captchas we can click on the four house pictures out of these nine pictures oh man yeah and and then that's that's going to piss me off. Spam will be the undoing of humanity. Well, maybe. But, um, <laughs> the other the, the other concern though is that the companies that are spending more time thinking about how to you know actualize friendliness rather than just like get the job done, mm-hmm. they're going to take a time penalty yeah. as far as like and it's really like first one there wins. Yeah. And so that's sort of that's where I think where some of the nervousness creeps in that it's going to be the most. That's why uh, it's going to be those guys in Nigeria. Yeah, it's, well, it's going to be yeah, it's going to be the spammers. It, but um, it's going to be the group that you know sprints as fast as they can, regardless of the risk. They're going to they they will likely hit the finish line first, and that's what makes it. Um, when you asked how, what is like an appropriate number to be spending on this, should it be a hundred? Should it be a thousand? I mean, this was a talk I saw a few years ago. Elias Yudkowsky was talking about how there's less money spent currently funding safe AI research than there is marketing lipstick in New York City. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, okay. so I'm not sure I'm not sure where <laughs> uh, you draw, you know, should it be lipstick in the entire country? Should it be, you know, whatever, but like the how idea. How many lipsticks of Yeah, so like but this was mid 2000s, um, maybe a little later. I think I would be happy with a Manhattan Project style project on AI cuz that was a major endeavor and the government put a lot of resources into it, but it wasn't, you know, drastic. It was, it was still small enough that it could be hidden in the desert, and most people didn't know about it. What if there already is something we don't know about it? Ooh. Good, good, good times. Many yeah. thumbs up from me. <laughs> <laughs> I approve. Assuming that they're working on doing it right. Yes. Well, I don't know. I, I mean, I, like the I military naively. probably has a somewhat of a vested interest in autonomous weapons, right? Yeah. yeah. And like, I, and I naively robot, hope robot that they army. have enough forethought to think my continued survival not just goes beyond just winning this war, right, or winning this fight or whatever we're building these 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 AIs to do. Mm-hmm. And they're going to think, okay, we should actually think ahead, you know, five years from now rather than just like six months to you know the end of this whatever. You know, the project. scary part would be a a war of annihilation again because they're when they were originally testing the atomic bomb and a few people were like. Uh, this this what if this ignites the atmosphere? That would be bad. We would all die. And there were there were some other people that said, you know what? Duck and cover. <laughs> Goddamn. Uh, a, a world where we are ruled by the Nazis is not a world that is worth living in. Even if it's a just point zero zero one percent chance of human annihilation, I'm willing to take that risk because I'm willing to take that small risk in order to not have to live under the Nazis. And you make that gamble enough times, and eventually you're going to lose. And I mean, if, if you've ever seen The Downfall, which is just a fantastic movie about the final days of the Third Reich, uh, 
all, a lot of Hitler's inner circle. Oh, is is that is that where that mimetic video is? Where yes. it's him like in his yeah, and like and pe- people people sub over it. Yeah, yes. and and he and he like yeah, he like takes off his glasses, his hands shaking, yes. and okay, yeah, I got gotcha. you. I should movie. go see that. that I should see the original movie. version too. I've only seen like the the programming <laughs> humor mockups. <laughs> yeah, no, I've, I've seen it's, so many. It's really good, but a lot of people in in Hitler's inner circle poisoned their own children and then killed themselves when it became clear that they were going to lose the war because they said a world without national socialism is not a world worth living in. I don't want my children to grow up in that. And if there were another situation like that and people were like, well, okay, we're not sure how this AI is going to destroy humanity or not, but we're willing to take that risk because we'd rather not live under, you know, capitalism or, or communism or whatever it is. I hadn't thought about it in precisely those terms, Inyash, and thank you. My, my nervousness level, I think, increased proportionally to uh, <laughs> the, that, that level of, of concern. Because, yeah, it didn't, it didn't occur to me, like I, like I was roughly articulating earlier, that I naively hoped that they would think, we should probably try and live through this with great probability. But you're like, fuck it, not everyone thinks that way. People might, might have different priorities, and they're like, you know what? No life, or, you know, no life is better than life under whatever, communism or... Better dead than red. Oh, my God. Mm. That's... Uh, that's horrifying. Yeah. <laughs> Nervous laughter. <All> right. <laughs> On that happy note, where do we want to go from here? Uh, I think one of the the biggest debates is just how fast the takeoff will be. Because if if an AI becomes superhuman in a matter of days or weeks, they could possibly take over the world. But if it's something that requires a number of years to really marshal the resources, then humans have a much better chance of trying to fight it and contain it. And I don't. There's, there's, you know, a bunch of controversy over how long it would take for something very intelligent to, to take over the world. There is reasonable disagreement there. Yes. Where I think, since the worst case scenario is fast takeoff, that uh, is the that, one that's, we should be. That's the one people run with yeah, because that's the one we, we should we, be worried about. Exactly, plan for the worst case scenario. Makes sense. Um, but there, there is the chance, yeah, that it could, for some reason, take years. Yeah, there are a number of people who say that's a silly concern and we shouldn't worry about that because it'll take a number of years and we will have some time to to react. Yeah, I can see what they're saying, but you got to, I mean, is it, how unreasonable is that concern? Right. right? And it's, to me, it's reasonable enough. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, that's, that's the thing. I mean, there's other common kickback to this. You get like Bill Nye and Neil deGrasse Tyson, whenever I hear them ask someone that, you know, on an AMA asks them about this or whatever on Star Talk or, which is Neil deGrasse Tyson's podcast. They're like, oh, well, I mean, if it gets, like, if it seems like it's going to get scary, we just unplug it. You know, you just, like, mm. you just localize it and then, you know, you just shoot the box. Right. As long as well, we control the electricity, we're fine. Well, sure. Yeah. Like, it seems a lot of these, a lot of these doomsday scenarios involve an artificial intelligence that is, like, ubiquitously connected to the world. Yeah. Well, I mean, the, if, if an intelligence is that much smarter than a human, by the time you know that you should be worried and that right. you it need could to hide unplug its it, intentions. it would already be out in a place where your access to electricity is not, you know, what is restricting it. Your, your ability, could be. yeah, at that point, unplugging it won't do anything because it's already secured its own source of power somehow. I mean, the other or thing... copied itself somewhere. Yeah, and there's just, like, things to think about. Like, you know, I'm not sure what the interface would be if you, ju- if you just got it in a box. If you're only going to see text on the screen or if it's going to, like, vocalize things to you, you know, like, uh, like Siri on your phone or something. But, again, with how much faster it could be thinking than what you think, if you had to cross the room and hit that light switch to turn off the power and I'm the AI that w- doesn't want the power to go out, I've got, like... 50 years in subjective time to think mm. of the one thing I can say to stop you, right? Yeah. And I can run all the simulations I need to to think of what will be what will be the most successful thing. Um, and one of the things humans do with intelligence is convince other humans of things. So if, if something if it, is but, much more intelligent than a human, it should, in theory at least, have the capacity to convince someone to, to let it out of the box or to not hit the switch or whatever. Yeah, so, so, so you get a deaf person to flip the switch, right? 
Well, I, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, no, I, 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 know, I, know, I know the spirit of what you're saying. I was yeah. just being, yeah. Well, I mean, that's fair. I mean, it, I think, I, I guess it's not really clear to me how safe, what would it look like for it to be scary enough for you to unplug? And the, the if, human, as human. long as it didn't want to be unplugged, it would probably not, it would probably try and act like it's not being scary, right? Yeah. The um, human thinks it's smart enough to unplug the machine when the machine gets scary, and then it goes to unplug the machine, and it turns out that the cat uh, door is locked. <laughs> right exactly it's like oh well how what are the chances so mm. and that's the thing too like as far as ai's wanting things um i i don't want to skip past this and that like it doesn't want to live the way that we do it wants to do whatever you told it to do and part of that is living long enough to do it i, I don't think that across all of mind design space is an inherent will to live but as long as it wants to do stuff it can't i guess think of whatever random thing you want it to do you want it to run simulations on like protein folding. Well, it can only do that while it's running. And so if it wants to do that, it needs, it like, by the way, also wants to cancer. run. Yeah. Don't shut me off. Oh yeah. No, so seriously. Like, I have this. No, actually seriously. Look at this. Yeah. Well, while I was writing my book, one of my major concerns was what if I die before I get it done, you know, because that, that would be really disappointing. I just want it to be done and out there. And now I'm dead in the whole, there was no point to it in the first place. So even if all you wanted to do was write your book, part of getting it done is living long enough to finish it. Yes. And so that's, that's a, I think, an okay analogy, right? Yeah. So. Yeah, but it, also a lot of people seem to think that an AI has to like think and reason as humans do. And that's not necessarily the case. It may not even be a, uh, what we, what we recognize as something that is conscious, that has, uh, that that has self-reflecting. I mean, maybe it will, but you don't need to uh, be be conscious or or have a self-image in order to optimize your environment. Even fucking plants do that. So if you have the ability to optimize your environment and you have a goal that you're going to, you can be as dumb as a refrigerator as long as you're really powerful at optimizing things. Humans may be unable to stop you. Yeah, I, I think I always leave the c-word consciousness out of this discussion. Yeah. It's 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 an important and related topic. But I, it to me is. I not, can see how that would be the case. Yeah, well, it doesn't and, necessarily have to be have a personality or a thought process at all. Yeah, just and like things it wants and ways to get them for sure. And the the I guess the really oh, quick bird's eye view of why this is like a separate but fun topic is that it could be that if we did create a consciousness that was scaled up to the proportion that its intelligence was scaled up, we would create things that suddenly mattered way more than we do, mm. right? right. Um, we would create a utility monster that, by all real good measures was, you know, the most important thing in the universe now, right? Or at least in our local part of the, that, of, that we know about. And it, just as like any human is worth way more than any ant, you know. What about, you know, you see this in fiction too, is the the idea of like distilling one's consciousness into code, making a model of like a human upload, quote unquote. Right. Yeah. Like, and then, and then like, if, if you can observe what that looks like, then maybe you could design your artificial intelligence based on that. But again, then again, if you get to that point, like you're probably already super advanced already because you're distilling all the contents of the human brain into something that can be observed. And we had a fascinating interview with uh, Robin Hansen, who uh, wrote an entire book about his thinkings of what could happen if that were to happen before we get super okay, artificial what did, superintelligence. What did he say? Because I'd be curious to hear that too. Oh man, it was... <laughs> like in a nutshell. In a nutshell, that the world would be very weird and run very fast and that we would probably have many, many copies of the most efficient humans rather than a large sure. diversity of humans. Sure. That makes, yeah. But if we were to try and use that like on the path of superintelligence, you could, yeah, if we, if we got human uploading before we got strong AI, then we could use uploaded humans to, we could have them tweak their own, their own code. And 
make minor improvements on themselves and then kind of self-report and you know introspect and all that and you could do that much more reliably if you're not running on i think that's a super cool idea i think i feel like that's what we should be focusing on it is and there are people making those proposals i think elon musk for example thinks that the safest way to do this is to propose is to and i don't quote me on musk but this is definitely out there that the the safest way to approach (laughs) this is to have our cells be blended with these machines that are basically we're, we're we're inseparable and okay. um, Sam Harris is actually one of the one of the public intellectual people that recently yes. got on board with AI, and he gave a TED talk on this last year. And he he made the point that like it's weird that that sounds like the safest way to do this. <laughs> that usually <laughs> usually we know things are safe before we start before we start talking about. Is it kind of egotistical about, that we think that this is the safest way to? I don't know. No, no, it, no, no. It's just the idea. Shouldn't aren't things usually safe before we, before we start talking about sticking them in our heads, right? right? Oh, but yeah. As opposed to like no, no. The, this no, no, is we're the safest. Our heads into something else. Yeah. yeah. So like this, this is the, this is the only safe way forward is to kind of like uh, meld with the machines in a way that you know we can't really predict what'll happen and etc. But that's not the idea that that scary weird future is one of the like possibly safest paths forward is just kind of surreal, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Um, and there's there's again some debate as to uh, if that is likely to happen before uh, artificial intelligence, general artificial intelligence, because I mean it could be. Maybe that's the quickest way to to get to an intelligence on a on a uh, silicon chip, but uh, maybe it isn't. As someone pointed out, uh, humans tried to make flying machines for the longest time just by imitating birds. And this is very much the same sort of thing as trying to imitate a human mind on a computer, but the way they actually first did it is to uh, find out what the fundamentals of uh, aerospace engineering are and then create a thing that looks very little like a bird. It, it has fixed wings and a propeller and does not fly the same way a bird flies at all. And so maybe it would be quicker to make a artificial general intelligence that does not run like humans. And then, you know, we're, we're again stuck in the race, which is faster, which which gets us there without killing us first. Yeah, I mean I mean I mean obviously in the one case you're dealing with airplanes, you're dealing you're dealing with a machine that has the fun, like the, the the intent of that machine is based on the intelligence of the person operating it. It's like acquired power, you know. Mm-hmm. But we're we're talking about modifying intelligence itself, which is part of my my downside of that is that sounds like less safe than just building a a mind from scratch. Plausibly. I mean, at be, least we know that mm-hmm. human has some human values. That's true, but at like, least initially. But this, have, this, this, this is operating on the assumption that you're completely making a replica of someone's actual, like, sure. some, like one entity, like one consciousness. Yeah. You're yeah, yeah. actually able to like... We would know that at least it, it has human uh, cares and, and desires and has some empathy for humans gets, as opposed to seeing them as just another biological replicator on the earth that's getting in its way of making paperclips. Unless it, the uploaded human had the value of like better dead than red, right? So then, then we're just we're back to where we are now. But no one has worse. the value of better paperclip than than red. <laughs> I mean, I, to me, being dead and being a paperclip are kind the of the same thing. thing okay, so. yeah. All righty, Sean. Since you were with us for the dust specs episode, there are a number of dust specs listener feedbacks, and I thought the three of them could address them together. Three of us could address them together. Our website is thebayesianconspiracy.com, and the mic says, The Dustbeck comparison is total bullshit. These things are not on the same level of comparison. Which of these two would you choose? Either we do horrible things to a single guy versus doing something shitty to a whole bunch of people. I don't think if there's a clear answer to that case. What if the person being considered is to be harmed is you? Would you still realistically choose to be harmed for the good of humanity? And I think we've talked about something like that before, that... It's really hard to say when it's you if you would do the thing, but you kind of hope that you would, right? Like you, you kind of hope that you would be Frodo willing to give his life in order to save all the free peoples of Middle Earth. 
Yeah. I think I might've mentioned this on the show before, but I can't remember. There's this framing. We talked about the trolley problem. The, the trolley problem is posed from the position of you standing next to the switch, mm-hmm. not saying you could be anybody in this situation. Then what do you want the person at the switch to do? Which to me is a, is a more profound way to look at it and, and it gets sort of at that point. And we would want them to do what we would want to do ourselves for the most part, right? Yeah. If we don't know where we're going to be, if I needed to die to save the rest of human species, I would grudgingly do it. Yeah. Or, you know, I, I wouldn't, I don't know if I'd even be grudging. I mean, I, I would obviously not love it. I'd wish there was an alternative, but if there wasn't, it's kind of a no brainer. I kind of want at least a statue. Right. Maybe a song written about me. Yes. (laughs) So, so could you summarize? Was it a question or was it just like? Yeah. Well, here's my statement. His thing, the line of thinking is that you should be very clear on what your thoughts on human sacrifice are, because it seems inevitable. Then that's the ultimate position you were discussing, and I guess it kind of was, right? The when does the good of of the many outweigh the good of the few? Well, because because it was it was utilitarian ethics in the scope of um like suffering, right? Yeah. So so yeah, basically he's right. That 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 is literally what we're talking about. When does the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few? And I think most people actually argue that the needs of the many are not really all that needful in this particular comparison, which is where it breaks down, as Mm. opposed to uh, no one should ever sacrifice themselves for a bunch of other people. Uh, moving on, Dark Lord Azrael says, I feel one major failing of the dust specs torture scenario is that it isolates effects too much. Unless the knowledge of the torture is perfectly concealed or none of the dust spec beings care about all the torture that's happening, then a negative utility is not being captured. The beings who are being spared the dust specs would get at least as much negative utility from the knowledge of the torture as they would from the dust spec. And that is something I meant to bring up and I never quite that's got around to. That's a super good point. Yeah, because if, if I knew I mean, that someone was being tortured that so that I don't have to get a dust spec, that would be a lot of negative utility to me, much more in the aggregate among all humans than uh, than 50 years of torture would be. Well, yeah, but I mean, I mean, like... I mean, I, I was already like, yeah, I go dust specs every time. So mm-hmm. because there, that, there a, is the negative thing. utility of knowing that like that makes even more like sense to bring up since we brought up those who walk from Omelas, which is a case where people know about the torture, right? I think you're right. And I think that it was implicit in the, in the original thought experiment that people didn't know that someone was being that, that there was a choice being made, that you're standing outside of all of this and you get to decide one of these two things has to happen. And then uh, which yeah, one would okay, you so choose? We didn't, so when Eliezer wrote this, he, he basically put forth that nobody knows about the torture. He didn't actually specify that at all. Oh, he didn't say it. Okay. I, I think it's assumed, but I think a good optimizer would take into account what the people getting the specs would want if they knew about the options, right? And if everybody knew that someone was being tortured on their behalf, that is a lot of negative utility. Yeah. That sounds like a different comparison than the original. It is definitely a different one. Yeah. So an email to us, our email is basingconspiracypodcast at gmail.com. Dr. S said that according to the conditions of the thought experiment, the dust motes cause a brief several second period of pain, but no other consequence. We expressly ruled out flow on effects like car accidents. Uh, you would also exclude lost productivity, increased ill temper, raised blood pressure, etc. And uh, she didn't say this, but also the knowledge that someone else is being tortured, which also hurts. As a result, there is literally no long-term negative impact of the dust mote on its victim. Conversely, you did not set the same conditions of a person experiencing 50 years of torture. Indeed, we questioned whether they would ever recover from the experience. It is a life-ruining event. So it's actually quite reasonable to argue that an infinite number of individuals expe- experiencing insequential dust motes would not equal one individual experiencing 50 years of torture. Which I think Agreed. that... Agreed. Yeah, I don't know. Because 
I actually do agree with that. I, I, I do as well that I, if you were to actually make them equivalent where, you know, the dust spec is just a brief bit of pain and then nothing, there's no other effects, then you would have to also, to make it comparable, say that torture is just 50 years of intense pain, but then after that, no other effects. And yeah, uh, you don't specify what the torture is. I think you're you're supposed to fill in the blanks, right? Yeah. It's supposed to be like what you would consider to be like significantly painful. Have you guys ever been like uh, in intense pain, like post surgery or something? I mean, I've definitely been in intense pain before. Her. Okay, I've I've had I've had several days of intense pain from post surgery, and not several days in a row though. Okay, and it, it no, it's it's really bad, and. Uh, I've heard that giving birth is some of the most excruciating pain yeah, ever. Yeah, the tri guy, or uh, there, there, there's some so, some dudes on some, you know, like there, there, there's some video I saw going around on Facebook ish, um, and it's like these guys who who volunteered to have a bunch of electrodes placed yeah, yeah. on their body in in places that simulate childbirth. Yeah, and and like they kept upping the difficulty to like full on. This is what this is what women giving birth feel, mm-hmm. and like most like pretty much all of them couldn't stick around for all that they just they gave up at like level four level five was the most intense pain okay and and they were just like two like 10 seconds they were just like nope i quit i'm done <laughs> right which you don't really out. have an option when you're giving birth to do that yeah, yeah exactly in fairness i think there's probably more chemicals going through your brain during childbirth than just having your nuts shocked right <laughs> yeah, so well, there, the there's thing. there's positive things associated with it that are happening you have you, you have like an so approximation like, right but like if you're if you're a guy it's like oh no yeah we can't yeah. we can't imagine but i just have to imagine that it can't be that bad because people still keep having People have more than one child. No, uh, sure, this sure. is actually the point I was driving to when I brought this up. Uh, so I, I, having been through that pain myself, now that it's in my past, I barely even remember it. I remember that it. I hated it and it sucked, but I can't remember actually the pain is not visceral anymore. It's like something I read about almost. And I remember hearing that uh, there's there's some uh, a sort of pain amnesia that humans have. And that is the only reason women ever have more than one child because... After the pain is gone, it doesn't stick around anymore. Seems like a good trait to have. And yeah. I, I was going like, to bring that that's up an too. Evolutionarily sound thing to. And I think that's tied specifically. There's there's additional evidence that ties that specifically to childbirth. And when I said it can't be that bad, I wasn't belittling it in the way of like, oh, it can't hurt that bad. You ladies are exaggerating. Uh, I, just, yeah, I, the, I didn't get a chance to finish right, that thought. Right, right, I was right. I was going to go on to say something like what you said, which is that uh, it could be the worst thing ever at the time, but then you look back and it's clouded by, you know, this new happy baby and all this awesomeness. And, uh, just from yeah, the way we're programmed that it just doesn't, uh, register as the worst thing that's ever happened to you in your entire life. Right. Yeah. So, so if, if we take this like pain amnesia thing into account and also the no follow on effects okay. afterwards, basically what we're, what we're going, coming down to is Everyone in an, an almost infinite amount of people losing about a second of their life yeah. versus one person losing 50 years of their yeah. life. And, and, and I'm sure that person who's tortured for 50 years is going to come out like, all right, well, you know what? That was really painful and terrible, but, <laughs> but I do it all again because infinite people didn't get a speck of dust in their eye. Right. <laughs> Fuck you, thought experiment. It's, I don't know. It's weird then because I guess an infinite number of seconds adds up to more than 50 years of seconds, right? Well, yeah. Uh, Math yeah, checks yeah, out. But, yeah. <laughs> I mean, there are just some things. There are just some things where you can't math your way out of it, right? Well, Dr. S apparently is an actual doctor because the email ended with, this is a fundamental... Is he an actual S? I, the, Never mind. There, there was more than just an S in the name, but okay. I don't know how uh, how much of their name they want out. And, oh, and that's... Okay, I see. Yeah. Okay. Uh, this is a fundamentally different exercise to the hospital budget question where an administrator has to decide whether to spend a million dollars saving one life or ten lives because the lives are valued equally. 
In practice, hospital administrators actually have to make more complex decisions about life expectancy. For example, the equation looks a little different if the choice is to prolong one young person's versus 10 very elderly person's lives. But these equations work because and only because they weigh up the value of equivalent things. So Dr. S is saying that these things are not equivalent. Oh, okay, cool. We got an email back from the doctor and said, yes, go ahead and quote me. And I am happy to be referred to as Sasha. Personal preferred pronoun is he. So thank you, Dr. Sasha. Wanted okay. to give him credit if you, if you wanted it out there. Me being, being the, the fame whore that I am, if, if someone's going to read my stuff, I'm like, no, no, put my name on it. Yeah. Um, I think, yeah, it's, it's a different way to look at it, but I try to entertain it from the worst possible imagining to where you are making the decision from the outside. Then that's where it got to the hazy thing that we that we talked about for like an hour. But yeah, yeah if if it was and it wasn't if intended, you told everybody or if everybody just somehow innately knew, then that becomes a whole different equation. And I get the feeling that it was supposed to be a from the outside sort of picture because it's the sort of thing like if you're a super intelligent god emperor artificial intelligence and you are making these decisions for all of humanity without being able to actually consult with every single uh, nearly infinite person in the multiverse what is the decision you make and and the decision decision should be based on math i guess yeah that's the idea it was trying to teach the idea of shut up and multiply mm-hmm. or one of the one of the thought experiments get around to that all right sorry next one one last thing at least uh, only from what i have the one last thing on the dust specs is shaklatria shakalatria on uh, our website again says the argument that convinced me of the dust spec position is The whole time we were talking about the thought experiment, it was always just a one-off decision. What I think about, though, is whether or not the position is generalizable. For example, Loki really hates humanity, but can only affect a tiny percentage of people on his own. So what he does is he kidnaps one person and tells you that he will torture them for 50 years. His offer is that instead of the torture, he'll set them free as long as you put a tiny dust speck or equivalent in the eye of all three to the, to the, to the, to the, to the three subjects in your multiverse, the nearly infinite people, sometime within the next 50 years. You follow your rule that dust specks are less bad and you agree to that offer and you are happy. But Loki just keeps doing this because there's so many people. It's very easy for him to kidnap multiples per minute. It's still just a tiny fraction of all the people. So pretty soon, um, the end result is that Loki keeps doing this. You keep agreeing to it and your nearly infinite number of subjects each get one trillion dust specks or small itches or tiny paper cuts or whatever you choose as your you know minimum thing. This is the same as hundreds per second for 50 years, which is the equivalent of torture. And I, I would agree that okay, getting okay. hundreds of paper cuts per second for 50 years is kind of the equivalent of torture, right? Okay, okay, but hold on. If you if you decide that you're going to, it's like, okay, fine, Loki, you win. Go ahead and torture that person. What stops him from kidnapping another person and doing the same thing again? Keep offering to torture that same person. Nothing, but then the point... You can, just, you can multiply it on the other side too. Yeah, exactly. But then the point is, one trillion people being tortured for 50 years is much preferable to almost an infinite amount of people being tortured for the next 50 years which is what your choice comes down to. But is it, but, 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 okay. So, so you're That's, saying that, that is, that is where the math actually comes in. Cause we're like, oh yes, so is Loki- one dust spec is better than 50 years of torture, but 1 trillion dust specs is much worse than 1 trillion people being tortured. Well, okay. But okay. Wait, so, so are you, are you saying like Loki 
continually makes that trade and someone's like dust specs and then he makes does it again and yeah. like dust specs but he yeah. does this like what every five seconds or something uh one trillion times across 50 years which comes out to hundreds per second for 50 years yeah okay so so okay but <laughs> I, yeah, but we're just multiplying uh, right sure. y- so yes if, if one instance of 50 years of torture is preferable to all those dust specs then why is it not the case that one trillion instances of 50 years of torture is preferable to a nearly infinite uh 50 years of torture Mm. So okay. At some point, you need to Loki to fuck off. Well, yeah, I mean, yes. At yeah. some point, the, so, the most so rational <laughs> action is to figure out how to Loki. kill Loki. <laughs> kill, kill Loki. But 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 the point of the thought experiment is that if if you take that you know one is greater than the other, if you multiply both sides by a trillion, that shouldn't suddenly flip it for some reason. But it's true. Yet it seems to emotionally it, it hits differently. But you're right. The math ch- the math stays the same, and so you kind of just be like, all right, well, fine, Loki, have it your way. Or I guess he, he doesn't have a preference, but right. you're, you you stick with the torture, I guess. I mean, if, 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 that's what you're if I were just to come to. up to you and ask you, Option would you C, rather... Kill Loki. <laughs> right, I, but I, if seriously. I were just to come up to you and ask you, would you rather torture an almost infinite amount of people for 50 years or only torture a tiny percentage of that, only 1 trillion people for 50 years, which would you rather do? Equivalent tor- torture on both sides. Again, we're, 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 ta- we're, we're, we're basically putting the, the dust specs, the momentary like, oh, oh okay. Mm-hmm. But that's happening like what, every second? You're like, oh. Oh, hundreds of times per second. I, I can't get out of my eye. I can't get out of my eye. Yeah. yeah. Wouldn't you consider a hundred paper clips a second for fifty years to be torturous? Oh, a hundred paper uh, cuts a second. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Probably. So. Yeah. yeah. I mean, there you go. I. I mean, of course, that changes things. I was definitely looking at it in the scope of like one-time decision, but. Yeah. yeah I mean, I don't know. At, at that at that point, if we're if if it's one of those things where it's like someone like like we assume we can't kill a god and it's like a god and it's he's doing this. Yeah. Why wouldn't he just torture everybody? Wouldn't he, wouldn't he just torture everybody infinitely anyway? Because that's kind of his goal. Because right? he likes right? fucking with you specifically yeah. and putting you through yeah. the angst <laughs> of making the decision. Well, I mean, I, I guess the real question it's, is, it's, it's a sadistic god. It's a sadi- like, what are you supposed to like? If you can't solve the solution, if you can't solve the problem by killing Loki, yeah. and he's just going to do that, everyone's going to be tortured. Then yeah. There's nothing you can do. About no, it. Really, the answer is find a way to kill Loki. Yeah. But out of curiosity, where do you draw the line where it flips from one to the other? I'll cross that bridge when I get to it, man. Okay, I, I, fair. Like, it's like, <laughs> like, like you, you can give you can give me like a one time decision like that. That I'll admit, yes. Like, like what was the name of the? Was it Shackle? Anyway, Shackleatria. Shackleatria brings up uh, is has, has brought up an interesting point by kind of multiplying it uh, more, multiplying the shut up and multiply experiment. I guess if you might say it that way. Um, yes, I, I was definitely looking at it from the perspective of a one-time decision. And in a one-time decision, I would pick dust specs like always. Mm-hmm. But if you're, if you're doing it like a hundred times a second, it's kind of like, that's, that, that, that's absurd, right? I mean, yeah. I mean, that's, that's basically how money pumps work. Or well, my, little microtransactions or no, uh, I mean? well, the, the old concept of a money pump. It's also like a Monte Carlo booking swindle or something. I forget what the what other other term for it is. But it's when someone has three things that they uh, value not in the same gradient. Like, for example, let's say you like uh, fruits. Uh, you like apples and oranges and bananas. Okay. You like an apple more than a banana. Sure. So if you have a banana and I'll say, I'll trade you this apple for the banana if you give me one penny... And you'll be like, yeah, I'm more than happy to do that. I'd much rather have the apple than one penny. So, uh, so, so, so banana and a penny I give to you and I get an apple. Yeah. Totally. Right. Okay. But I also have an orange. And you like the orange more than you like the apple by, 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 by more than one penny. So Ooh. I'm like, hey, I'll give you uh, this orange if you give me that apple and a penny. And you're like, yeah, sure. Right? Totally. Yeah, totally worth one penny. And then it turns out that you now have the orange, but you have this weird thing where you kind of prefer bananas to oranges. 
And so I'm like, hey, I'll give you this banana if you give me that orange and one penny. And you're like, yeah, okay, sure, sure. And then, and, and, and then and, I repeat. And then I close, and then I, um, and then I, I close the Skype session and right. I just eat my banana. Right. And then you understand what the fuck is going on, but it, and you close the Skype session. But assuming that you cannot close the spikes Skype session, it's the thing where I'm like, here's an apple. Oh, here's an orange. Oh, here's a banana. And you keep, since you, since you like these different things differently, some but point not in an actual though. gradient. At some, at some point, you'll die if you don't eat. So, yeah. It, it, it's that kind of thing. I got you. Yeah. Okay. So fun times. Um, I think that's all the dust spec stuff I have. Uh, this is just a comment that I don't think we have anything to reply to, but is an interesting comment on the subreddit slash r slash the Bayesian conspiracy. Masterson says the thousand paper cranes thing is a Japanese cultural cultural tradition, which both Ghost in the Shell and the Sadoko story reference. Mm. So yeah, that is apparently a a much older thing than any of us knew because we're not very good. Japanese historians. cultural link things. Yeah. Fair enough. I can take that. But yeah, I like the link. If we're sharing links that listeners were thoughtful enough to share, there was a great one from uh, someone on the website. Richard J. Acton wrote in on the BeijingConspiracy.com on the episode on digital rights and privacy. I think the European digital rights, the EDRI, or EDRI, I guess I'm not sure what that abbreviation is for, is roughly equivalent to the EFF for your European audience. And they link to edriedri.org and said that they have a good newsletter with tips and tricks and software, software suggestions. Um, so if this was something that struck a chord and you want uh, some actionable things that you can do to protect yourself, um, I haven't looked at this myself, but you, got, you have at least one recommendation to check out edri.org. Cool. European listeners, you also have a resource. Well, I'm not sure if it's just for them or if we can, there's stuff here that we can do too. If it's just like Chrome extensions, that'll be for everybody. That's true. Uh, this was a fun one. JD, via email, going way back... Uh, about our voting episode where we had Tim on and telling us reasons why it's not necessarily rational to to vote all the time. He writes, you're telling people who have the desire to be rational that it is rational not to vote. What then? Do you want to leave voting entirely in the hands of the irrational? People who vote for moral and religious and ideological reasons do not have this constraint. You told your listeners to not have a voice in this last election. The very people who have the most respect for your opinions and you're telling them not to vote? Before the next election, I hope you will tell listeners, yes, it is worth researching the issues, and yes, it is worth taking the time to vote. Otherwise, we have a government that is largely composed of representatives of the irrational. Katrina contacted Tim, who then wrote us a very light, nice long reply. Um, but before we get to that, the the essence of it is basically that's not exactly what I was saying. is is what Tim was is what Tim says, and he's right. But I had a friend call me after the episode aired, mm-hmm. and he was like, "Hey, why are you, why is this your guys' message?" Yeah. And so uh, JD wasn't the only person who took it that way. That it, it came off strongly enough anti-voting that uh, at least two people mistook it for that was our actual that was the position that was being uh, supported here. Well, before we dive in, uh, I, I had my own take on it, too, that I sort of agree with Tim that most people, including myself, do not really research the issues all that much. And it would be best if most people didn't vote and just leave the voting up to the people who do research and are actually really invested in this sort of thing, which is the reason that things like uh, decision markets work, because people then are putting their own money on the line. And so the only people who are willing to put their money on the line in these predictions are people who do do the research. Whereas just voting for something does not cost you any of your own money. So you can vote regardless of whether you've done research or not. And lots of people do. And so uh, in that respect, I think if everybody agreed to only vote on things that they actually have researched heavily and know a lot about, we would have a much better world. But I consider this very much a prisoner's dilemma sort of uh, thing where not voting unless you know something is cooperating and voting anyway is defecting. And if 
everyone on our side cooperates and doesn't vote unless they're very well informed on the issue, but everyone on the other side votes anyway, they're defecting. And if you know your opponent is going to defect, cooperating is stupid. It is the losing move. It is how you get taken advantage of. You have to defect as well. So everyone has to vote in order to cancel out everyone else's vote, which is really kind of lame and shitty. And like we all know, the world is always much better if everyone cooperates. But but we can't like force that right. on people. But actually getting cooperation is hard. You know, you're you're uh, explanation there covered both sides of the conversation that I had on the phone when this episode aired with my friend. Oh, okay. And so that's that's kind of where we wound up was like, yeah, it'd be great, but since we don't live in that universe, we need to be out there voting too. So we did actually contact Tim as well. And Tim replied to us, uh, not in these exact words, but uh, basically summarizing, he said that he he only told listeners that it's morally okay to not vote, not that they shouldn't vote, uh, for the same reason that it's okay to drive a car or wear an ugly shirt because... It has a very, very small uh, negative externality on the world, and usually those things are okay. I don't know. Like, like I, I don't know that about being a small externality, though, because it seems like a somewhat of a pervasive attitude to be like, you know, screw the elections, who cares? It, it comes down to our delegates, and we just shouldn't vote because whatever. That, like, like vo- voter apathy. Like, there, there are externalities to, to saying that. I mean, I mean, I mean, maybe not so much in the way that he's wording it, where it's like it's morally okay not to vote. That, that, that that's a little different. But people encourage each other not to vote too he, by he, being, you know, and th- like there are externalities to that. It's no, not, we're living in one. <laughs> his, for him, for his opinion, that would be a positive externality. That voting, if you don't know the issue very well and have researched it heavily, is a negative externality on the rest of the world because you. Oh, aren't voting, voting well even enough. if you're not well informed. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Okay. I see. Uh, which you know, ninety nine point nine nine percent of people, including ourselves, are not on almost every topic. Like, how much research have you really done? Yeah. No. Point. I, taken. I have done less than a hundred hours of reading on any particular policy question. Yeah. I mean, point taken. Uh, he says also that um, he said that he was telling people it's less worthwhile to vote if they aren't in a swing state, because, for example, in California, you probably don't even need to bother. And then that's where vo- the idea of vote trading came in, right? Yes. And he pointed out that in the last election, we threw away literally t- 3 million votes, referring to the fact that the popular vote went 3 million in favor of the candidate who ended up losing the electoral vote. Right. For all this paraphrasing, it's worth mentioning that Tim explicitly said, don't read all this word for word. And yes. feel free to just you know, generously paraphrase. So that's what we're trying to do. Yeah. It was, it was he, a long reply. Yeah. Was, was, that, was that reply recent or was that from a while ago? Like a couple of weeks. Yeah. Okay. He, he also said that uh, th- this is not meant as an actual recommendation, more that what he is saying is a prediction. And the prediction is people vote stupidly. And other things that this prediction models is that all large democracies will have a large number of stupid policies. And politicians in all large democracies will spend an inordinate amount of time focusing on stuff irrelevant to policy because it appeals to people's stupidity. Like, for example, the size of a candidate's hands. Um, And increasing voting by, for example, really encouraging it or getting vote, get out the vote drives or making voting mandatory will probably make things even worse, not better. And so on. And that is why he had the, um, sure. the, the argument that he did. That you cannot stop this sort of stupidity simply by voting alone. You have to change the incentives as well. Mm-hmm. And he does say that he doesn't think uh, any particular group, not even, you know, rationalists or listeners of Bayesian conspiracy are likely to be more politically sensible than anyone else. 
because if you're passionate about politics, that is a sign already that you've kind of thrown your rationality out the window. And he says that goes for him as well. That that's an empirical an empirical question that I'm not sure if we know the answer to. Yeah, I I would like to think naively that people who make an effort to to stay objective and be are are capable of discussing both sides of an issue without yelling or losing their minds. Yeah. I would hope that they're on average better voters than any yeah, random I would, other person, right? I, I would definitely want to think that too. Like there are a lot of there are a lot of like quote unquote team players. Mm-hmm. Like I, you, and I mean you know exactly you I'm sure you know exactly what I'm talking about because you see it all the time where it's just like, well when you guys had Obama we you know. Oh, oh, phrasing it in terms of like, well, I think it, it's not so much like I think this or I think that it's it's we did this. Our team did this. And it's just this weird collective. It's like and, sports and I with think also stakes. as in practical human terms, if you're going to be spending hundreds of hours researching something, you have to be passionate about it, because if you're not passionate about it, you're not going to take the time. It is uh, the rare person I think it could read for hundreds of hours on just duty alone without any passion driving <laughs> yes, it, right? Yeah. Um, or unless they're being paid for it, right? So yeah, I, I think that's a kind of high bar to set. And I do see what, what Tim's saying, especially like, you know, in, in general, I, so I think that was my, my main takeaway that I didn't like, but he did a better job of explaining in this. And maybe he said this verbatim on the show and it passed my mind and my friend's mind and, and the person who wrote in. But I took it kind of like as a, well, it's basically not worth it because, you know, the odds of your vote changing the election are so small, et cetera. And for me, I just didn't like it because that's not an argument that you can generalize because the people who be persuaded by those kinds of arguments are exactly the kind of people you want voting. And I do see what he's saying is that they might not be that much better. But I think, A, that's a question that I'm not sure if he has that we know the answer to. And uh, B, if we're not, then we can work on being better at it. I mean, many of us care if you care more about being right than about your politics, then your politics will change to what's, what you believe is right. And that's uh, sort of the, the, the underlying motto of rational ad, rationality. Mm-hmm. Like, I want to be right, mm-hmm. not, not I want my position to be right. I want, uh, I want my, to change my, per, my position so it is more right. Exactly. Yeah. Or less or wrong. Less. <laughs> Zing. Yeah, I was, I was going to let someone else do that one. I have one other, one last one, but it is a big one. What, on on which, which episode? Is it the voting one, too? No. This is on the Nazi one. This is, yeah. Uh, and you were there for the Nazi one as well. So. All right. Let's, let's have it. Let's have at it. Have at it. Have at you. Okay. So GT, to us in email, uh, says that he really enjoyed our response to Albionic American. And since the idea seemed to be a new one to us, he would like to lay it out in full. This is a feedback to the feedback from the uh, the Nazi punching episode. Yes. And so that that's where this is coming from. And if you're oh. not familiar with what he's talking about, that was in a previous feedback section. I think it was on the, I did not see that coming. Albionic Mary, was, was he the one who said like the, the people who are alt-right or they, they're, they're, they're making a, a commentary on the human condition? Was he that guy? Exactly. Okay. So this guy's a follow-up to that. Yes. Uh-huh. Okay. I'd love to hear this one. He says, the right believes in something called human nature, which is to say basic instincts, desires, biases, etc., that all humans are born with and will always have to some extent. People may display different behaviors as a result of different material conditions or the presence or absence of different ideas, but the fundamentals of human nature are constant. As a result, any utopia scheme that requires us to fundamentally change our nature is bound to fail. Examples given... If socialism requires that greed be destroyed, socialism will fail. If feminism requires that distinction between male and female be be destroyed, feminism will fail. And if world peace requires that in-group loyalty be destroyed, then world peace will fail. The leftist view seems to be that with enough social engineering, any kind of society is possible. 
Dude, this so, okay, like, some like of it right gets off the bat, this sounds like exactly what I was talking about with that conflict of vision thing. The yeah. unconstrained and constrained vision. Like like he's he's parroting exactly what And the thing is those I think two views he, are. I think he has some not a bad point here because there is some level of human nature that you can't well, fundamentally alter, right? Let, well, let me let me can I say two things on that really quick. One sure. is that I don't know how representative this is. He says the right believes, and I'm close with a lot of Republicans, and we've had lots of conversations. Something like this, especially the, the more specific examples that he gives later, never have come up. And to the extent that there might be something known as human nature, I would argue, and this seems to challenge what, what GT wrote in, that there is human nature across homo sapiens, not across different shades of homo sapiens. And so there are... Uh, not so subtle uh, insinuations later on that there are different human natures for different races from GT. Not That's not something I'm saying. And I would challenge that. I would also wonder how the right so, so, somehow found all the secret truths of human nature where mm-hmm. the rest of us missed it. Um, yeah, that's, and that if they, if they have evidence that isn't just like pointing at, well, like, look, there's increased crime over here. Or look, IQ test scores are different in this part of the country. Well, that's, uh, that's not strong evidence in favor of like underlying human natures being different among those people. Cause you can control for, for variables and have that cross different, uh, or I guess cross racial b- boundaries. And so that can't be underlying for differences between, uh, different pigments of humans. Right. So that's, that's sort of my main gripe with, with that whole line of thinking there that if there's something like human nature, that's, that's the steel man. We can take that and make that separate, but I do not get the impression that that was the point that he was making. Okay. I'm going to, I'm going to read the next thing of his that I find not objectionable. And then we can get to the actual objectionable stuff. Sure. Okay. So the next thing he says that I think is not objectionable is, uh, the right. And I'm not sure again, all right people or all Republicans or something. I think by the right, in this case, he means a, a more specific group of perhaps neo reactionaries or, or some other kind of right. I don't think he speaks for all people on the right is what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. But in, in, his, in his words, the right believes that if such, a thing, if such things are desirable at all, we will at least need to see some evidence that we can get there. The right is generally skeptical of the idea of moral progress, progress in general, at least partly because we believe society has actually regressed morally on certain issues. Consider Jonathan Haidt's moral foundations. Is it Haidt? Height? Height. Height. Okay. If conservatives value things like loyalty, authority, and purity, then have we really progressed from their perspective? Are people more respectful to authority now than they were in the past? Are we more loyal to our nations or tribes? Are we more chaste in our sexual behavior? As far as I can tell, not so much. And I think he has a good point there that the people on the right probably don't think we've made moral progress because we have been abandoning uh, those things that he mentioned. So Haidt doesn't come right out and say this because he's an academic and you're not supposed to sound so biased. It turns out that moral systems that have like purity as a really important element to it get really nasty really fast. These are the things where like consider what was it a few years ago there was that school on fire and some forgive me for my my bad memory but it was in some strictly uh, by the book Muslim country. And the thought, like apparently the fathers of the, of the children in there, it was a girl's school kept the rescue personnel from going in because they didn't want the the girls pulled out without their, without being properly veiled. And, uh, that's the kind of shit that happens if you care more about the purity of keeping, keeping your little girls veiled and, and whatever purity that does, it leads to them dying in buildings. Right. So like a moral system that would have me have that as like, like ideological as, purity to to an extreme. Yeah, right? and if, if that's your if that's your desired outcome, I'm prepared to say you've got your you value the wrong things. And I I this is I guess somewhat controversial. I think it's not just possible, but it's super common to have wrong values, right? 
if you like, so I, like I th- I'm prepared to to take a stand there that if you value purity over like staying, you know, saving a life, your values are misaligned. So then he gets into areas where I I, I want to make it very clear that these are things he has said and not things that I endorse in any way. Uh, but as examples of things that he thinks uh, the left claims are possible. And the right says they would need some evidence that they're possible because they think human nature um, will make these things impossible. Says the poor can be made wealthy. I want to interject really quick and say to GT specifically that if you want, you're welcome to put this on the website as a comment to any episode that you want, including this one. And then you can have your your entire write-ins public. And I, I guess I don't want to make it seem like we're censoring you and only sharing the parts that we want. But we're, I mean, it's also a brevity thing. But part of it is that I don't feel like engaging parts of it. But you're welcome to put those out there. And we'll leave them on the website as long as things stay civil. Mm-hmm. You, you never got mean. And that's, I mean, that's completely... That's really the only line, right? As long as you're being civil, I'm happy to engage. Just not necessarily with every point when, you know, we have a time budget. So He says the poor can be made wealthy, which I think is just a weird... Okay, yeah. My biggest problem with that is that, like, okay, like, allegedly, there's a very strong strong correlation between um, socioeconomic inequality and, and, and like, criminal activity mm-hmm. it's it's not like 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 if you go to a place where everybody's poor mm-hmm. there, there's not going to be crime there everyone's kind of on the same level but if it's like there's a lot of disparity that's where that's where you get into that so so i, I would say like like does, does the left really even believe that like the poor can be made wealthy or is it like they want to they want to close that gap a little more and like make their make that disparity less so that there's you know I, you know, a basic quality of life going on, like right. l- raise the bottom line. See, I, I, I don't that even. Like f- Stephen Colbert said, "I won't stop till everyone's in the upper one percent." <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, well, that, so, but that, yeah, that's, 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 no, but that that is totally the point I was going to make too. That when it, it's a very strange argument because in in historical terms, the poor are wealthy. Our poor have more wealth than the vast majority of of people ever did in the past. Of ancient kings. Yes, our our poor True. have better lives than kings did a, a millennia ago. Yep. <laughs> which which well, is well, it's 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 supposed to be relative, right? Like like right. The, like the disparity at the time. Yeah. So relatively, they 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 are not as you know rich. They're still living like kings because that's all they knew was living. Yeah. Right. They have more clothing options, better clothing, better housing. They have heating and air conditioning. Well, maybe not air conditioning. No. But but you know refrigeration of food. More food options, sure, sure. medical care. Their children generally do not die of dysentery in in, yeah. in their young age. Like the 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 only difference is that they have less jewels and no servants. And they, yeah, they, yeah. the the poor are in almost every scale uh, measure much better off than the wealthy were of the past. So in that respect, not only can the poor be made wealthy, the poor have been made wealthy. Well, yeah, no, and and and, and again, I like I, I feel like. Like that, that's a weird way to phrase it because it's like it's saying that the left wants to make everyone wealthy, but it, like since when? I've never like no, isn't that the, the the left is more about having safety nets and having like like providing upward mobility for people who fall in hard times because of a pink slip at the wrong time or whatever, right? I I think the left's goal is yeah, more or less like wanting to raise the 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 bottom level of of right. of uh, quality of life. Right. They're, we can't, they're, we can't they make, we can't everyone, make everyone live like millionaires. Right. But we can make everyone live like you're making forty k a year. Right. But ideally, Where, like you have like you're not making judgments between like, well, do I want to take the bus to work and have lunch, or do I want to like fill my gas tank so I can drive myself? Like those kinds of of equations. Like, am I going to go hungry today? Aren't considerations that people want people to have but on the left? Ideally, apparently. on the left, or at least as far as I can tell, we would like to have a post scarcity world. Right. Sure. And yeah. that's basically the definition of everyone is wealthy. 
Yeah, I guess it depends. Like, I wasn't sure if wealthy meant like you have the purchasing power of Bill Gates and everybody should have that, which is ridiculous, or that everyone's got the purchasing power of somebody who can again feed themselves and clothe themselves. Well, if we, it seems if, to me if that we, he if says, we get replicators and we live in a post scarcity society, that's that's a different. Well, I mean, thing it, it, it almost seems to me like he says by 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 claiming that the poor will always be poor no matter what due to human nature. That's that even once we have dumb. a post scarcity economy, there would still be people who are poor, which. Seems odd to me, but I guess could be possible in some way. I don't know. I would wonder how, when they had the time in evolutionary history to, to evolve a different human nature than other humans. <laughs> I mean, th- these are the same species. And did, like, did it happen six generations ago when their family when their family's business went bankrupt and they've been poor ever since? Like that. Uh, like all. I mean that that's 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 not the time scale that 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 you know, base natures evolve on, right? All, all of my, all of my objections to his points are, are just on historical, uh, record. He says uh, his next point that black communities can be raised to the level of white communities. Okay. So he's right, repeating what everyone other people, flinches. so, so, so is, this is him repeating what he thinks the right believes. Uh, it's what he believes too, as far as I can tell, because he's representing his oh. group in this email. And, yeah. and I mean, um, I, I believe what he's trying to do is point to the fact that in America right now, most communities that are majority black are worse off than most that are majority white in several different measures. But his claim is that due to the fundamentals of human nature, black communities so will always be inferior to white communities. And is, I'm like, is, no, just based off the historical record, there were many times in histories where non-white communities were the superior ones. Well, I, I, like, like I'm, I'm trying to like, like, like if I'm going to steal man, I don't really want to steal man. There's but. even places in the world right now where in nations where their black communities are better than white communities. Is he, is, is he talking about just America? And is he just talking about like, like, I, I, like, I, like, I, like human nature in terms of like tribalism, like pe- like, Oh, we're predominantly white, so we're always going to oppress, you know, people of color. I, I, Is that I, what he's going for? Based on what I have read uh, in these sorts of circles before, the the argument is that uh, it is a genetic thing that the white no. races are just <laughs> genetically better, and so we'll always end up having better communities. No, I like 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 I've seen that map. Like I've seen that map. There's this map of like IQ, like average IQ, but it's like. We're comparing countries that don't have the same educational opportunities. It's really a stupid, stupid map. I mean, also the thing that really gets to me is that I do believe that different cultures can be better or worse than others. And that the culture you are raised in has a huge impact on who you are and how you do in life. And what you value. And what you value, yes. But the there are legitimately shitty cultures out there. And there are legitimately good cultures out there. Sure. And in... But, in, but, um, it, but it's not a genetic thing. No, no, it's not a genetic thing. It, it may look genetic because the same genetic group settled in an area and had that culture, but it's not intrinsically genetic. And I think yeah. as one of my examples to this is one of the worst, in my personal opinion, uh, cultures. God, worst is such a value-laden word. One of the least optimized for modern living cultures. Okay, in, there in, you go. <laughs> as long as I'm being Weasley and trying to not make myself look like an asshole, uh, <laughs> in 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 modern America is the borderer culture or reaver culture, um, depending on what? what term you want to use. So there was a group of immigrants that came uh, from the, the. There was a border between, I believe it was England and Scotland. Um, uh, where there were constant border disputes. And the people that lived on that border basically were living like 
the, 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 the several hundred years ago version of Somalia for decades at a time. Both sides kept coming through, raping their land, taking whatever they wanted. They didn't, they were living in a lawless anarchy land and they basically got by by forming very tight, cohesive family uh, bonds and they were only loyal to their families and everyone else could suck a dick and they were rather aggressive and it, it's the, the, Reavers, they were actually called Reavers, they would go out and raid other surrounding areas and take their stuff and bring it back to their villages because that's how you survive in that sort of uh, situation. And they eventually came, uh, some number of them came and settled in the Appalachians and the American South. And that that sort of culture is is still uh, pervasive in the U.S. in various areas. You can see it. Uh, it's, it's I, I know at least one person who, who comes from that sort of culture and I do think it's destructive. It's it's a bad culture. It is a low trust community. It is an aggressive community, and it is very much uh, ruled by tribal loyalty to to just the small group of kin. And all outsiders are suspect and evil. Yeah, that's that's not like like, and and they're white. I can they see are white. No, no, they I have get a it. shitty culture, and they're I, white. I, and and I can see the argument of how some people would would consider that you know human nature, but I don't think it needs to be human nature no, it doesn't i think we, it's we the can, nature of that culture but it has yeah. nothing to do with human nature it's it's yeah not necessarily no yeah, the, like, I mean, like, the like culture can hopefully be changed and we should be able to override that it, it, i mean it will take I, I imagine it would take generations you cannot yes. do that in the course of one person's lifetime right but like, because but like when you grow up with that it is internalized but over time, yeah, I think it could be fixed. And that, I, to me, it feels like that is a thing that he would call human nature. That you were born to parents who are like this and you will be it's like this. It's a learned this. behavior. It's not... And to me, it's a cultural thing. Yeah, yeah. I, I absolutely would buy that that's a, that's a learned behavior. Like, this is how it is. This is how we do things. And but, I mean, maybe there's some genetic influence on it, too. Maybe people who are uh, naturally more aggressive due to their genetic disposition do better in those sorts of cultures. So, those sorts of cultures it's would still encourage learned, people to, to... I would yeah. say... Yeah. Yeah. It's always a little column A, a little column B. Right. Yeah, I mean, that's I mean, always, I mean, that's I'm, always I'm, the answer. I'm, I'm saying there's at least, at least some partially component to it that is learned. I'm not saying it's 100%, but it, it's it's at least, you know, yeah. part of the way it's learned. It's so learned behavior. To me, yeah. it almost right. seems like, like he's saying... Beat people up to, to get food. Yeah, when, I mean, when we, we talked about this not too long ago when uh, Sam Harrison had... Uh, uh, Sam Harrison. When Sam Harris had his talk uh, about... God, what was it? Uh, who was the talk with? With the racism, with the race issues in America? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was with a... Uh, Greg T. Lowry, I think. Okay, and and he brought up Greg brought up the point that Wait, was, was, it, was it just him and one other person? Or was it three people? It was two. Him it was and one two, other person. Okay. Yeah. He brought up that if you're a young yes. black man in the inner city on the bus and someone scuffs your shoes, you can't let that go. You have to put up an aggressive air because otherwise you will be victimized by other people who see, oh look, that guy's a pussy. So you have to start a fight over him scuffing your shoes, and now there's beef, and now people are going to die, and that sucks. And in my in my opinion, that is another example of a shitty uh, culture, and um, and I think this is where he gets his thing about black communities can't be raised to the level of white communities. That there are certain cities that are majority black that have that sort of shitty culture, but I don't think it has anything to do with race. No, it doesn't. It has. To, it's it's not. It's 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 reinforced within that community. Like yeah. it's. It's, it's something to do with crappy cultures. Yeah, it's an, it's an, I think it's an accident of history, and it could have gone the other way, but the fact that it went this way re, reinforces the position that, oh, it is a, it is a genetic thing. That is, this is just your guys' you know, genetic problems. And then that, uh, you know, if that's, your, if that's your belief and that's your 
policymaking motivations, then you're not going to like try and fund schools in those areas because well, they're doomed anyway. And then things will just keep getting worse or at least won't get better. And so like it's, I can see where this does come down to like sort of a base ideological difference, but it's one where I, I'm, I'm fine saying that I think, uh, GT who wrote in was, what is wrong there. Uh, I mean, I, I'm trying to be as like polite as I can about it, but I think you're that I see, I think I can kind of see where you're coming from, but I think you're just factually incorrect. Like, like, not, like, not just ideologically, but like as a matter of history and, and uh, observation. Sure. Yeah. No. Like, I, like, I, like, I, like, I think there's a there's a very strong emphasis on this like nature over nurture thing when most things are both. Like you pointed out just a few minutes ago. Like it's like yes, there are things that are kind of that kind of come naturally to humans, but that doesn't mean like saying it's all human nature. It just seems like a cop out. Like it's 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 like well, I, let's not make it any better. Let's just leave it. Let's just. And if you're going to say it's just human nature, it's on you to explain why human nature is different among different populations of people that have nothing in common other than like, you know, so if it's just among poor people, well, what is it like? Are they genetically poor? Like if they had inherited a million dollars, would they would they stay poor? Like yes, the the uh, argument is that yes, they would squander the money and be poor again within a generation. Well, there's there's different and that and the, when you said is there how is it that they're on these timelines they have evolved differently? The argument being that up until very recently and starting again actually, uh, there was this thing called a sort of mating where generally rich people would marry other rich people and generally poor people would marry other poor people, which does in fact usually happen, and uh, that is what reinforces these sorts of. Uh, bad genetics of of managing money or whatever and in my opinion that's more of a thing of the the reinforcing a culture staying uh the way it is because people don't cross contaminate their cultures at all they 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 stay they only know what they know but you know that their argument is that it's a genetic thing rather than a cultural thing if anyone's curious i can dig this up there's a really great write-up for like why someone who was raised in a poor environment if they happen to make you know if they somehow get $30,000 that they immediately spend it all and that they don't have anything to show for it two years later. Um, this comes from positions that make internal sense to the, to people. And like, if you come from a place where it's a whole long thing, but, uh, there, there is a position there and a, an explanation there that doesn't fall back on. Well, I asked, you know, I just thought about it and this would seem to make, make the most sense, you know, like, I guess I'm not sure what how you would reflect on your own human nature or something, but th- these are decisions that seem rational to people, and uh, you can't really fault them for given their upbringing. I think, and, and I, I get where like that seems wishy washy and leftist wishy, you know, wishing thinking, but I I I challenge that. I think that that it's. I, I guess I see where you're coming from as far as how the timelines could have worked out, but I still kind of call bullshit. And yeah. there's there's also the whole thing where. When you're poor, if you come into some money, you're surrounded by all your friends and family that are also poor. I, I, uh, people often say, well, why don't you just save up, you know, a hundred dollars a week and, and over time, or maybe that's too much, save up $10 a week over enough time. You'll have some amount of savings so that you don't go bankrupt. If suddenly you blow a tire and you have to pay, spend a hundred dollars on a new tire. Uh, and then all of a sudden, oh my God, your bank overdraft fees are happening. You have to borrow money from a payday loan place. They want all this extra money back and, and it just is a cycle. But the problem sure. is when when you are poor and you have nothing, if someone comes to you and says, dude, my tire blew out, please help me. You're like, I'm sorry, I can't help you. I don't have any money. If you have some money and someone comes up to you, you're like, well, you're my brother. You're my sister-in-law. You're my uh, uncle. You need this money right now. Here is my money, and so it, you can't. You end up not being able to save money, not because 
you don't want to save money, but because you're a decent human being and people that you care about need money badly too. Yeah, like how do you justify putting money into savings like when, you know, for only $25 more a month, you can help pay your grandmother's rent so that she's not left homeless at 80, yeah. right? Or, or your eight-year-old niece can actually have that cavity filled instead of being in pain yeah. constantly. Right. So, I mean, that's, that's just like a matter of like, low resources yeah. and then yeah that 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 ge- that generates habits and that's where like i mentioned yeah, that, and then that people thing comes are like from. well just stop smoking and you'd save a hundred dollars a week on cigarettes and but you wouldn't save a hundred dollars a week on cigarettes you'd give away those hundred dollars a week on other things like that and then you wouldn't have the uh the slight relaxation and and relief that comes from smoking cigarettes as well so you're making your own life worse and you can't save that money anyway yeah which is a bummer it's a thing yeah. i'm not sure how much more there's worth engaging here and let's oh, keep going uh well the, his third thing was same sex same sex unions can acquire the same respect as traditional marriages which to me is on. weird on a number of levels because first of all the amount of respect something is given is not a nature of anything yeah, biological it's, it's societal values yeah exactly like what the it, fuck is he even saying and also does he not has he not read any history books there were many times in history where same-sex uh, unions yeah. had just as much yeah uh, respect as traditional quote-unquote marriages i mean also like how much respect people have for regular marriages these days anymore either right right like oh you know gay marriage that's that's abhorrent that's out of the question but you know if you want to get married three or four or five times go for it that's there's nothing wrong with that like maybe and that not, that's not fair maybe i'm maybe i'm strongmanning someone might actually take a stance against both equally but I don't think that, yeah, that the number, the amount of respect that a person gives something is a relates at all to anything that could be called human nature. I don't know. I, I feel like, I feel like you're taking a snapshot of the current conditions and using that to like kind of apply that to the idea of human nature and like yeah. something that's immutable. Yeah. I think it's very myopic. Yeah. He, uh, <laughs> I'm not even going to bother going on. He made, he, I mean, do, do I, you, I don't want to like paint him in too negative of a light, but he kind of made a pro lynching argument which I'm not going to repeat mm. because lynching, first of all, killing people ever is bad, but extrajudicial violence, we've, we've already said we really are not a fan of, which is what lynching is. And lynching is literally terrorism. And I cannot get behind state-approved terrorism against one's own populace. It's just fucked up. So anyways, uh, he goes on to say that on any issue where there seems to have been moral progress, an honest conservative will say that the progress is illusory, or it came as a result of external factors, or it was actually regress, or it was genuine but very small. And to him, it makes far more sense to hold people to normal human standards of morality that we know are reachable, rather than to be disappointed that humans are not acting ways in the way that your pet utopia requires them to act. That's a huge cop out. Well, and you can't you can't explain away any contrary evidence by saying, "Well, I have these four categories of of gen- fully general counterarguments yeah. that that'll fall into." So if you point out, well, like, look, for example, violence went down in the last century. You know, people are way less likely to die of violent deaths than they were 500 years ago. Oh, well, that's that's uh, that's barely progress, or that's illusory, or you know, like you can't you can't take any sign of progress and shove it in any of those buckets, kind of a priori, right? Yeah. Like you're you're declaring yourself immune from contrary evidence. I want to say that I thought this was sort of a decent point. It, 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 it hit me close to home anyway, because in our ethics uh, episode, I, had, I put forth the position that any system of morality which uh, breaks the people that uh, adhere to it 
is is doomed to fail and you can't expect humans to hold on to it that it, it's it's just going to die out like uh the shakers who uh who believed that people should not have sex period and they died out after a generation because they didn't have any children. <laughs> mm. um, it, it, it's that sort of thing. And I, I use it specifically for the sort of morality that I have seen harm people in my life where they they put the welfare of other people, including strangers, in such a high regard that they neglect their own lives and it ends up destroying them either financially or emotionally. And that really sucks. And that is the sort of thing I was speaking against. So, yes, I do think that a morality that is impossible and that damages the people that hold on to it is a bad thing. So I agree with him in that regard. But, I mean, on the other hand... But but you have a much more higher bar for where you think people can reach. Yes, exactly. Like, uh, I didn't mean to put words in your mouth. Also, but. also no, no, no. It's, 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 it's almost like he's putting for us this, this weird dichotomy of, of, like, of like, well, either you're just accepting things as they are or you're striving toward a utopia. Right. Where it's, it's, like, it's like, okay, but, I mean, things... Progress is incremental. It happens very slowly. Yeah. Like, like even if you don't perceive it to be a net good, that does that mean it's not? And we can focus on specific problems. You know, like, so like we can we can, we can we can eradicate specific diseases that are killing people, sure. and that's progress by any measure. You're yeah. less and, dead and people. It, it seems like this weird, like fundamentally philosophical view of of how things should be. When it's like, well, there's like a shit ton of nuance going on here. That's yeah. why I feel like it's such a cop out. I, you know, to me, it's it also feels kind of like a cop out because I mean, you can you can say that a system of morality which says theft is immoral is one that is not. Uh, not one that functions for humans because due to human nature, people will always steal or something. And I kind of think that at that point, it's bullshit. Your system of morality should say that theft is unacceptable. And it, once you get to the point where, well, it's human nature to steal. And so any, any system of morality that says theft is bad is doomed to fail. Like, you know, it's screw you. There is a level of things that we can reach for and that we, we should reach for and that really humans can accept without breaking themselves. So it, it seems to me like he is arguing that something very simple like give a modicum of human respect and decency to people who are gay is like beyond what humans can achieve. And and it is a pet utopia to try to enforce that. And it's like, no, just be a decent fucking human. Well, it's also like it might be impossible to universalize like Peter Singer level charity, mm-hmm. but it's clearly not impossible for humans to do. Because humans have done it. Yeah, so like, then, but then, then you can just point to like, oh, they're just violating human nature. Well, then if you can violate human nature, that's the same as subverting it then and saying should. that, you know, we don't need to fall. Like, there's, there's a really There was kind an entire of, community of people that subverted human nature to the point where they didn't have sex anymore. Yes. <laughs> I mean, well, and I mean, you know, violent resistance to oppression might be human nature. And yet uh, Gandhi and his, his group didn't or did nonviolent resistance. Mm-hmm. The whole that's kind of my other problem with just human nature arguments. If you can, it, it it's human nature when it works for your position, and it's you, oh they're just violating human nature when there's a counterexample, and if you can't, or, uh, or or maybe they could do maybe they could have some convoluted way of coming up on how on how like that supposed subversion of human nature was actually linked to some other form of human nature, and that 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 form was stronger than the other human nature. I, I don't know. Like it seems like a needlessly complex and uh, <laughs> convoluted model, right? Yeah. And yeah, one no, with poor predictive I, power and explanatory power. I, I'm just thinking, I'm just thinking like, like total, total, like I'm making this up. This isn't what I believe, but like, I'm just using a total bullshit example. Like Gandhi, you're like, okay, so, so if it's human nature for violent protests and then, but then we say like, oh, well, Gandhi was, you know, he was totally a pacifist and he resisted. And you could say, oh, well, it's also human nature to want fame. And he just wanted fame. And that's mm-hmm. why he did. And his, 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 his 
his want for fame was higher than his his want for violence or something like that. So they could, right. I mean, they could probably come up with some kind of workaround to that, and, and it all kind of stems the same thing. But I, you know, it doesn't really change how I feel about it. It seems like if, if your philosophy says that it is human nature to dislike people of different skin color, and we can never change that. But uh, it's also human nature to be violent. Yet we expect you not to murder people. It seems inconsistent to me. Yeah. That if you can expect people to not murder others, then you can expect people to be decent to people who are a different skin color. So there's there's an argument that, and I'm going to just turn this up to 11 just to draw, drive this point home. Mm-hmm. Um, it's likely true that in the ancestral environment, rapists had more offspring than non-rapists mm. because you could impregnate a woman, uh, I'll say, rape, oh, I'll say uh, male rapists mm-hmm. probably had more offspring because you could pregnant a woman, never see her again, she would have a kid, and you could go on to do that as much as you want. And yet, that's not the kind of human nature that I, I would think even GT would be behind, right? Sure. Um, and I mean, we can make this less disgusting and just talk about like other primates, right? Um, yeah, okay. So it's a it's a nightmare possibility of historical fact that this probably went down somewhere either in our ancestry or in, in a cousin's ancestry, um, cousin species. But that's still not the kind of thing that you would want to endorse or just like throw your hands up and say, well, it's human nature. We got to just roll well, with especially it. Especially now. Well, that's, that's progress, <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. So uh, to say that all progress is illusory or small, I feel like I said, you're just explaining away things that would be counter evidence before you even have a chance to really interact with it. Uh, he also, getting back to the actual thing that sparked our entire debate, says that we correctly noted that Spencer does not public in, publicly endorse any violent actions. So he asks, are we alleging that he privately endorses violence? We spent a lot of time arguing that peaceful ethnic cleansing is not possible, but even if we're correct, our argument isn't really relevant to the question of what he thinks is possible. So if someone supports an impossible policy, that does not license you to accuse him of supporting some alternate policy. And I think there is there is a level where that is no longer true. If, if someone is advocating for something as ridiculous as deporting quote-unquote, peacefully, one-third of the population, he has to know that it has to be done violently. Uh, even if he like didn't understand that at first, it would have been brought to his attention very quickly. And then to continue to support that policy despite the reality of its effects on the ground means that he no longer cares that it would ha- end in violent results. You have to, at some point modify your rhetoric when when it becomes apparent what it means right yeah i i mean i mean you they could, could publicly say, say well it's only violent if they resist and it's like yeah but they're going to that's just this is one of those things where it's like you can just look at the world and like i I, th- I feel like a lot of these positions that are being brought up are like things that are just thought about and like no one even considers what it's actually like out in reality and the reality is, is that yeah when you try and pull me away from my kid I'm going to resist and then it's going to turn violent. Well, you know, that's on you for resisting. No, it's on you for coming in here trying to separate us, right? So that, I mean... I think if if Spencer was being honest about wanting a peaceful ethnic cleansing, then he would say he wants the government to raise taxes on white Americans to such a level that we can afford to buy out one third of the nation of all their property at fair market value plus whatever premium they would place on the fact that they now have to uproot themselves, move somewhere else, get new citizenship, learn new languages, and all that. If you can give some... I know there is a level of money where I would be willing to move to Australia or or Port, no, Puerto Rico's in America, or Colombia or something. Give me enough money and I will 
give you my house and my car and uproot myself and go somewhere else. But it's going to be a fuck ton of money. And so if Spencer is actually honest about this, he will say, yes, I want to raise tax rates on all white people in America by 50% for the next three decades or however long it takes to raise enough money to buy out all these people so they will happily voluntarily leave the U.S. And if he isn't saying that, if he's just saying, oh, we want a peaceful ethnic cleansing, and he knows that what that really means is throwing people out against their will, then he's, he's a liar. He is avoiding saying the words that we should punch him and kick him and kill him if need be, while uh, obviously presenting that as what's going to, what's going to occur. That first version where you mentioned like raising taxes, doing it that way, mm-hmm. I I find myself liking that in the same way that I like the intellectual honesty of like religious fundamentalists who are like, well, every word of the Bible is true. I think they're wrong and I disagree with them, but I at least like the fact that they're consistent. Mm-hmm. And so that that like I don't I don't like what that Bert, that argument say if someone is making that I wouldn't like what they're trying to do. But damn, I admire your consistency <laughs> and, your, and your willingness to think it through and you know bite the repugnant repugnant conclusions and just run with or not the repugnant conclusions the unfortunate consequences yeah you know so like hey if you're gonna do all that i disagree with you but props for thinking it out right. <laughs> at least you actually are advocating for a real peaceful cleansing right mm. i feel like that's plenty of very time unless we want to give him something unless there's anything else we wanted to get on uh, i have one last thing uh, you, you so got it sorry to keep trying to take it off no, no no i know you're you're tired of this no, but no, i think yeah okay i predict uh, i won't be the only one who feels that way you're okay <laughs> so, so he said that uh since we personally uh literally asked saying what uh we would be interested to hear what comments of ours were quote unquote horribly backwards uh he says upon further reflection i probably shouldn't have used the word horribly and i apologize the main topics you discuss are actually pretty good at being neutral with a few exceptions he lists even more so than uh journal mainstream journalists which Kind of seems like damning with faint praise to me. Yeah, it's, it's, it's like thank you. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> okay, but you're better. You're, you're better than BuzzFeed. Well, I mean, you're better it, than. It sounds like even like CNN or whatever. You're, you're better than which, Vox. Yay! But on the other hand, he meant it in in I know. in a good spirit. So I know, I yeah, know. thank I'm, you for I'm that. Just making light of it. He he says the uh what usually what gets to him isn't in the, any specific topics, but mostly things that are uh, tossed off as an aside in the middle of a podcast that bother him and that betray a. Less left-wing perspective. Some examples are uh, when I opined that human society is pretty good at figuring out what's moral, and Katrina joked that uh, maybe this is in doubt considering the election results, and everybody laughed. Uh, and he's like, oh, because everyone's obviously anti-Trump. Ha ha. I was like, okay, I mean... Well, everyone in the room was. Yeah, and uh, I'm not going to pretend that I'm not leftish and anti-Trump, because I am. And uh-huh. At least I am putting my biases out there so you know them. Sure, sure. Uh, he said that uh, Inyash mentioned that he uses emojis in work email, and Katrina suggested that his ability to do that and still be taken seriously is due to his being a man, and emo- Inyash readily agreed. I thought about that. I don't know. I mean, I did readily agree at the time. Does he have a point that that's bullshit and it has nothing to do with gender? Uh, I mean, I think another factor that we didn't discuss mm. at the time because we did it really quickly was like different jobs that you have. Mm. If you work in a small office, yeah. like my last job, it was a very small office, me and two other people, and they were both women and I was the only guy. There would be some some emojis back and forth. Yeah. But that, I mean, that was we only wrote emails kind of as a courtesy because we could literally just shout to each other. So being able to be taken seriously, like there's more, there's more than one factor to it than just. Yeah, your, your if you're gender, writing right? an email to yeah. corporate and it's way I, out there. I, I do see what Katrina's kind of getting at, though. Yeah. I mean, I also see what he's getting at, too, that I automatically went, oh, yeah, I do get more respect because I'm male. I get the feeling I probably male people generally do get more respect, though. 
I I'm will not say that I take subject, I will say that I take anyone who uh, writes in Comic Sans not very seriously, regardless of their gender. Nah. <laughs> Do not use Comic Sans in your emails if you want someone to think that you are being professional. Um, and then he lastly says that uh, when Stephen asked what the manic pixie dream girl trope is, I described it as used by white male directors because obviously white people are boring and uncreative. And Inyash often said, well, at one point Inyash said, old white men are the worst and fuck these white dudes ruining shit. <laughs> and he says, because that's not anti-white, right? Even though you would never say that about any and other man, race. When you're, when you're standing on top of the ladder, the only people you can yell at other people are standing on top of the ladder, right? Uh, yeah, but no, I, 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 just... I, 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 I see his point and I think that's actually a very good point and I feel bad about doing that now. And you are right. I will try to lay off on saying that sort of shit because... That is also bullshit. You yeah, can't go no, around I mean, saying I, old white men are the worst. Yeah, that's... yeah, no, like, like I, I feel like that's going to spur a whole other conversation. But I do, like, I, I, def, I definitely have thoughts about the use of white men as kind of an invective. I understand yeah. why it's there. Like, yeah. I do, I really do. I've definitely heard it brought up, and it bugs me because I'm like, if you replace white men with literally anything else, even if you'd say white Jews, it's the most socially, it's the be... most socially acceptable group to slam because of. Yeah, it's, the, it's, it's, yeah, it's the whole punching right. up That's thing. Bullshit. Basically. You're not, you shouldn't be, there should be no group that is socially acceptable. I, I, I kind of agree. Like, yeah. I, I think that like, it's, I don't know for, for a while I didn't really, it didn't really bother me, but you, you see it so much and it, you, you see it included in really intellectually dishonest arguments. Yeah. And it's part of the reason I've kind of like, 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 it, was, like, it was cute the first few times, but it's been going on for decades now. Well, I think, yeah, but I mean, it's I'm also against, like negative sweeping generalizations of anybody, right? Yeah. 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 And so uh, it, it could be that someone might say, oh, you're just as a white guy. You don't like hearing people say shitty things about white guys. Like, it's no, like, well, hold on. But I, you don't I, know I, me. <laughs> I also don't like hearing people say shitty things about other people. Yeah. And yeah. so I, I again, I, I like the rule of like being able to generalize my my uh, morality as much as possible. And uh, yeah, well, I mean, well, so that, drawing, drawing exceptions is weird. I've heard people say, yeah, this white guy was really loud and annoying at the meeting. I'm like, wow, you would not say that if he was black. Yeah. Well, and if you said, if you did, you'd be an asshole, but like, it's okay if you say that he's white. And that, like, that is sort of weird. It is a great yeah. double standard. I can see where that bugs people. And I'm, I'm on board with that. And uh, I, I do recall just not too long ago hearing uh, someone complaining about someone who was kind of loud and obnoxious at a meeting. I was and, thinking the same thing. Yeah. yeah and, then, and then ended the sentence with, it was a white guy, of course. I was like, what, what, do you, what do you mean, of course? Would you have said that if someone was being kind of stingy with a tip and he was a Jew, of course. Well, like, then, well, then you wouldn't have said anything. Right, yeah. So, no, I, your point is well taken and I will try to not do that sort of thing in the future. For what it's worth, I, I took the impression that you're saying that somewhat tongue-in-cheek. Yeah. But it is the sort of like joke that there's no reason to keep making. So, mm -hmm. yeah. And we can debate this, but do you want to just decide now that we're not going to engage any more of his stuff on the air and that if he wants, he can, I feel like that's part of the problem is, with is like it, discussing things. Is there still more? No, that's it. I okay. meant, okay. And then he I meant like future he, correspondences. Cause then okay. it sort of just becomes like we're spending a lot of time engaging this one person with their one ideas. And it's not like and giving way too much airtime to ideas well, that we think are kind of gross. Play, I don't know, play by ear because, because like yeah. it's, it, it's, it's kind of cool to have someone with a differing viewpoint being like, yeah, you know, like, I, I mean, like, that's, like, that's, like I, I, I consider myself like, I don't know, I guess a left leaning moderate, but like, you know, having someone who actually believes like stuff on the right, it's kind of like I, I'm not gonna this sort of call them a bunch of names, but like this I mean, sort of talking with people who are not on your side is really important, right? It is what sure. keeps society peaceful. And I meant specifically one person because it seems like in the oh. last, it seems like in the last two or three months, like a 25 percent of our airtime has been engaging this one person. Ah, oh, okay. really? Okay. And so, okay, I thought this was his first. 
email back to you from I I see your point I think that we don't want to give too much airtime to something like this but I do think it's it's good to engage it uh, at least somewhat and, I did too and the to first couple like, times yeah and to be like we're not running away from your issues we disagree and here's why whereas opposed if someone was just to be ignored they'd be like well obviously they have no kind of arguments which is why they're just ignoring me well that's why I invited him to post this on the website or the subreddit okay and then that way you can be engaged by everybody and if people are being dicks to you for whatever reason I'll, I'll try and shut them down too uh, that's the whole thing be nice to everybody and you know well, it can if, be you, if, you fi- if you find their positions repugnant say I find your position repugnant not you're a disgusting person yeah yeah no like like that, that that's definitely the field of, of the podcast and, and like and isn't that kind of the rationality thing is is like hear everyone out you yes. know yes it is so Oh, we do have one last thing. In our last episode, Mr. Oliva wrote in saying, hey, what's up with Katrina? Haven't heard her in a while. Uh, So we should probably mention at this point that Katrina has become more and more busy with her work to the point where she's basically working two jobs right now, it seems like. Two and a half-ish. Yeah, so she has not had uh, time to be on the podcast lately, and she says that looks like it's going to be the case for the foreseeable future. So unfortunately, Katrina is stepping back from the podcast, and she'll still be on every now and then for maybe certain specific issues that she's really passionate about, but uh, it sounds like she's no longer going to be a, a regular feature of the show. She actually let us know this through like a quick message. Like I think she's that tied up, and we tried to get her to like record something that we could attach, which we might be able to do today uh, for this episode. It's it is unfortunate, and it, and I missed her contribution. So we've been trying to have at least a third person on for every episode to have somebody to engage with, but it's not the same. Yeah. And uh, if you're noticing the lack, uh, we are too. It, it was a very different perspective that she brought to things, and I really appreciated that. Because Stephen and me tend to agree on a lot of things, which makes for less of a diversity of opinions. Yeah, it's, it's less fun. I guess that sounds like about it. I do have one thing to say that we have a few Patreon supporters. Thank you very much. That's super awesome. You guys rock. Um, yeah, I mean, it makes a big difference. I think our hosting costs are now covered. Yes, our hosting costs are now covered for uh, the website. Awesome. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean... We, we still don't make any money, basically, off of this. But at least it's not costing us a monthly fee anymore. It's not... For, for what it's worth, Enyash is paying everything, so it's not costing him any money. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah, but uh, please feel free to support us on Patreon if you want, just a dollar an episode, or uh, leave us a review on iTunes, that also helps, or just let people know if you like these episodes. And thank you to everyone who's, always, who's already done so. Yes. And you can comment in the various places we mentioned on the subreddit or on our website. Great. Cool. Goodbye, everybody. Take care. Later. Later.